Pokémon. wasn't about it wasn't about bright bryce looking like jorah it was about um <laughs> I, today google sent me those things that it always sends me and it was something about some girl like falling into a yes! meat grinder yes i saw yes. that today because you know how i'm part of the true crime community yes you're always like channel like you say the exact same things as one podcast i follow says yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that, last that podcast was like on the left. blew yeah. up today yeah the girl's working at the meat factory and she somehow fell into she a, fell meat into meat a fucking industrial sized meat grinder yeah what the fuck? So that's CSI it was, shit right there. It was so funny because I was like, you know, Ch- if Chen was here, she'd be like, that's not vegan. And then Bryce was like, or she would say, that's very vegan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bryce. Yeah, it was funny. It Does was he pretty, listen to our podcast? It was a br- funny Bryce thing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think, I think he has better things to do. I don't know. I think Will <laughs> might listen to it. Will, I think, listens to some once in a while. Yeah. Um, I don't think Bryce does. Uh, he listens to us like all day that's true why would he listen to our podcast where you know like after work he's like oh my god yeah. like channel and Corey won't shut the fuck he's up he's like these weird ass people that i work with <laughs> okay well let's start this motherfucking episode because yeah, hey. it is almost midnight and i have to wake up in six hours uh-huh. hello everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> welcome to anyways how's your sex, sex life we're, we're we've jingle. taken shots we've taken a shot yeah a shot and a half Corey chased a shot with Kahlua I yep. chased my shot with <laughs> ice water that's where we're at because I don't have mixers we are your hosts I'm Channa and I'm Corey yes we're your lovely slutty amazing wonderful hosts who you masturbate every single day about and today we're about Please. to rock your fucking world with more Ted Bundy Ted shit. Daddy part it is Ted two. Bundy part two. This is the final part episode for Ted Bundy. And y'all, you may think, wow, they're a little drunk right now. Wow, they sound like they're having a lot of fun. We're drinking because we studied Ted Bundy for like ten days straight. Yeah. This is I'm not even It's been I'm like not two weeks almost two weeks now every yeah. day looking I literally at Ted sent Channa a text. I was like, I'm sad. Yeah. And then she was like, bring the fucking champagne. Yeah, literally. I said, I need a fucking drink. Bring the champagne. Yeah. Yo, and then we... he got here and it wasn't enough. So we're like, take a shot. So we took a shot of whiskey. Yep. And I'm like five seconds away from taking another shot. <laughs> we should. I almost want to. I'm not joking. I'm not joking either. <laughs> we're going to take a shot. Wait, let's get shot. through announcement, fact, fact, spooky scoop, and then let's That's take a shot. That's so much. Ah, fine. But it gets us going at least. That's true. Okay, it'll keep us going. That's true. Okay, mine are I. Mine's very fast today. But y'all, seriously, we're sad. We do talk about Ted Bundy being Ted Daddy because he is attractive, but and like his like charismatic part of him is sort of enticing. But y'all, he's a horrible fucking piece of shit human being. Like seriously. So let's jump into announcements. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get into all that. Before we touch upon that little subject. I have an announcement, bitches. So <laughs> right now, the day they're releasing this episode, it's like April 30th, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. This is my final announcement for this final 
giveaway, everybody, because it is due <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> There's like very like avid listeners that have already done this. That they're like, God fucking damn it. <laughs> yeah. Like we're looking at you, Beth Donahue <laughs> and Vicky She's like, Rogers. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> <laughs> like you guys are tired of me saying this shit. Yeah. Meow with Sophie, Adam, Carrie Rousset. dude. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Magnum size. Yeah, Magnum dude. What's the, the other? Di- the Giamarco. No, the other guy who sent me the stuff about the faggot facts. We're looking at you, Scarlet Two Face. Yeah. We're looking at you, Holy Ash Batman. We're looking at you, Sparkled Sky. You know who cetera, you are. I have shouted out you guys probably like a hundred times by now, but you are definitely sick of me saying this shit. But today <laughs> and tomorrow are the last days you can submit oh, an really? entry for the Amazon $50 fucking gift Wait, card. Wait, it's not until the end of April? It is the end of April. No, April is like, oh, okay. Our, yeah. Yes. This episode comes out on the 29th. You literally have today and tomorrow. Congrats. You're uh, correct. Sorry. Yeah, bitch. I'll shut up. Okay. So you want a $50 Amazon gift card? Obviously, we all want one because you can buy literally anything with it. Mm-hmm. So to enter, all you have to do is either rate us on iTunes, that equals one entry, or rate us and leave a screenshot, that equals two entries. Take a screenshot of whatever the fuck you just did. And stick it up your ass. And then stick it up your ass. No, and then submit it to us either through Instagram, basic messenger, or email. Um, once you email it to us or send it to us through social media, I will respond or Corey will respond saying, thanks, motherfucker. We love you. We'll release the winner in two days from now or a day from now. Yeah. But anyways, if you don't send us your screenshot of your review or your ratings, we don't know that you left it. So we will not add you to the giveaway. So it's really important you send us that screenshot. No tits, no dick. Now, the winner will be announced on May 1st. So a couple days from now, if you're listening to this when the episode is released. Um, And it will also be in our episode that is being released on May 6th. But the deadline is April 30th, 12 p.m. Mountain St- or 12 a.m. Mountain Standard. <laughs> we will be looking. <laughs> I'll be looking. No, I'll be in Hawaii. I'll be very confused. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I guess I'll announce the winner from Hawaii. I'll be like drinking a pina colada on the beach. I'm like, fuck you, Corey. You're you in Utah. You should just send a pic of like, Jordan should just get like your boobs with a pina colada shoved in your boobs. Yes. And be like, the winner is. The winner is <laughs> Corey C. Dewey Martin. Um, so again, no screenshot equals we can't find you. Um, so you can find us on Instagram. Our Instagram is anyways has her sex life. Our Facebook and Twitter is ahysl podcast. Our Gmail is ahysl podcast at gmail dot com, yes. and our website is ahyslpodcast dot com. Very easy. Just type in anyways has her sex life podcast. You can it. find us. Yeah. Um, next announcement. Please send us your. <sighs> stories either they're ghost stories or funny sex stories or any story really that you think that we would talk about on our podcast send it to us by the end of may and we can add it to our listener story i love them um you can be anonymous just say like yo motherfuckers i want to be anonymous and boom done anonymous but this could be any story from like oh when i was a kid i did bloody mary and this is what happened Mm -hmm. to oh my brother heard the story about the haunted road in my neighborhood or, yeah. oh, I babysat for Ted Bundy. For Ted Bundy. <laughs> when he was five. So send us your stories. Or like, hey, I fucked this bitch and this is what happened. Yeah. So whatever you want. Just send us some, whatever you think that Corey and I would talk about on this podcast. Please. Send us a story about They're it. They're so fun. If you have a short story, long story, just send us your stories, bitches. Mm-hmm. Again, through Instagram, Facebook. The longer, the better. Because you know. Because you know. Boom, done. Fag a fact. Go. Fag it, fag it, fag it, fag it. Okay, so we did the entomology 
the etymology of faggot part f- one. Fagato. We're now doing Fagato's part two. <laughs> <laughs> that the ice cream spaghetti dish that I wanted. So yeah, remember Fagato's. Remember faggot with one G. Remember Fagmaster. faggot with two G. Remember Fagmaster. Remember Fag Tip. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> now we also went over how fagging is a real thing in British uh, boarding schools. Oh, yeah. And that was a thing that was mostly eradicated in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, but um, we're pretty sure it's still there. Fags are everywhere, okay? Newsflash, wake up, people. Wake up. (laughs) Hazing is real. Fagging is real. And this is actually a bad thing. Fagging and hazing is sort of almost the same thing in a sense. I'm probably exaggerating to a point, and somebody can yell at me later. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> shots. <laughs> I was just thinking about how we're going to take another shot. <laughs> yes. And I have to wake up. We're going to exaggerate everything about Ted Bundy. I'm like, Ted Bundy was a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, become, we're like Ted Bundy apologetics, like 100%. I'm like, can he prove it was Ted Bundy? No, yeah, we are literally <laughs> drinking because Ted Bundy is a horrible piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. And I had a rough day today. I spent two and a half hours at Planned Parenthood. It should have took like 30 <laughs> minutes. I'm mad. I'm still mad. It's been like eight hours still and I'm still mad. Yeah, we also went over like three main reasons why fag became a thing or faggot became a thing. And we also debunked the semi quote unquote urban legend or wives tale that faggot came from a bundle of sticks for burning, which regards to like gay people being burned at the stake in old England and like how that turned into the 20th century, like American, you know, American English slang. That's not, uh, doesn't really have any like hold. Um, it's not like substantial evidence. So let's get into that. Let's get into sort of the modern like twist, the 20th century, the 21st century, like usage of faggot. A fagato. A fagato. Fagmaster. The transition is sort of unclear when we get from these like old English, middle English terms and how they turned into actually being used in America because that's where they're first used. It's sort of un- unclear, but it's sometimes argued that it was uh, like faggot's connection to women's work that we talked about how they collected bundles of sticks. Yeah. And so they were called faggots. So that connection to women's work, um, it's sort of believed that it's more that than the public school tradition of fagging. But while fagging was a thing in Europe, and sometimes it was used derogatorily to be like, yeah, you're a fag. In America they believe that more faggot came from the connection of it being uh, to women's work. And that also goes along the line of it, you know, like queer, homo, a poof, a fairy, you know, just like, you know, stuff like that, how it's like related to being more like that's an effeminate, yeah, calling you a fairy thing. or like a hissy or a sissy or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like it sort of goes along with that. So faggot was originally used just in America and it was first recorded in 1914, and I'll get to that sighting a little bit later. And then it was shortened also to the form fag in 1921. Okay. And also, like, it would sort of just stayed in America for a little bit, but then it eventually uh, spread it out into English-speaking countries, and film was the biggest way that that sort of spread out with the usage of the word fag. While in the UK and other English-speaking countries, uh, usage of queer, homo, and poof are more common, I think still today a little bit more common because they use fag a lot for just like a cigarette. Like that's still a big thing, Okay. Um, I believe. Uh, those are the more bigger usages of that. Um, so the early printed usage of the word faggot, and these are from America. So the word faggot with regards to homosexuality was used as early as 1914 in Jackson and Heller's A Vocabulary of Criminal Slang um, with some examples of common usages. Um, it was listed as the following example under the word drag. It says, quote, all the faggots, 
and then in in those quotes uh, like parentheses sissies Mm -hmm. will be dressed in drag at the ball tonight (laughs) (laughs) same (laughs) if i go to a ball i will be dressed in drag as a fag yes daddy uh dancing to feed me diamonds by mndr oh yeah that's Corey's drag queen song Feed Me Diamonds, M-N-D-R. You're welcome. You're welcome. Go get stoned. Yeah, go get cross-faded as, as fuck hell. before you ever listen to that song. And then lay and down. And turn it on. Like, lay down and look up and turn yeah. on that song. Preferably be like on a shag carpet or like on fake <laughs> fur. Yeah. Um, or you, fake fur. another person's body. Yeah. <laughs> or if that's not available, a comfy blanket. Just True. like. Or if, yeah, yeah. Like look up and just like put your fingers against your face and your neck mm-hmm. and just listen to it and like rub. Yeah, just rub I yourself. would say also an animal if it wouldn't get so sexual. So no animals. So no animals. Just Maybe a stuffed animal with a hole in it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or a pillow with a hole. Or a cool. Yeah. Or like just a, a human hole with Walmart consent. <laughs> Um, also, the word fag, as we stated, <laughs> was used in 1921. Um, this is a sighting from 1923, though. It says, in The Hobo, The Sociology of the Homeless Man <laughs> by Niels Anderson. It says, quote, fairies or fags are men or boys who exploit sex per- for profit. The word was also used by the character in Claude McKay's 1928 novel, Home to Harlem, in- indicating that it was used during the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, specifically, one character says that he cannot understand, quote, a bull diking woman and a faggoty man. So faggoty? that was probably negative and derogatory. <laughs> so, yeah, that's basically the etymology of faggot. Um, I like it. There's basically looking around at multiple websites and stuff like that on top of Wiki. It's just, yeah, the transition is basically unclear. But those are the first official uses in print of the word faggot and fag. And they're from America, and it is largely believed that they are first from America, and then over the next few decades, it sort of goes out because of uh, film and then later TV. Um, it was mostly used derogatorily, and there's also some cool sightings of sort of a new, I guess you could say, quote unquote, new wave oh, well. <laughs> of, of, of the use of faggot. Okay, Ugh. <laughs> that's me. That's me terming that. As we like crack open an IPA beer. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and it it is like in the early 2000s there was a huge surge of men hmm. and just anybody in schools in American schools using the word fag. Now I'm not saying that in the 90s or in the 80s the word fag was used derogatorily because it definitely was, especially in the 90s. Yeah. But like in the 2000s the early 2000s there's like a huge spike in it it actually spiked enough to be studied by people interesting yeah and a book written about it so yeah interesting yeah but um i just think modernly i think we should just reappropriate the word fag i don't like mind being called word fag the only time i mind being called a word fag is if somebody like ignorantly says so thinking that they think it's a negative thing yeah like core you fucking faggot yeah like it it's doesn't different. even make me yeah. mad i'm just like i would just scoff at them basically and laugh at them and be like yeah i'm a fucking fag i love sucking dick yeah you're like <laughs> sorry streets yeah, yeah like sorry that you have a problem with that and i would just laugh and walk away so but like, i guess it would in the end still make me mad but only because that person's trying like ignorantly thinking that they're better than me because they're straight and i'm gay so my question Corey. To use anyways has her sex life. No, my real question is because you just said how, you know, you're trying to take back that word and yeah. try to change its meaning pretty much instead of being like, oh, faggot in a bad way. It's like yeah. you're fag. Like how we joke about or how we say the word fag. Like it's 
Or like we love the like in the community when the the Asian like Spanish teachers like hot gay. Yeah. Like I love that. Yeah, That's exactly. Hilarious. So do you think that you are a unique case in the gay community present no. day? Or do you think there are a lot of people in the gay community that feel the same way you feel about the word fag or faggot? I would say that. Yeah, because okay. I, I think like it's very common to say like, oh, we're just a bunch of faggots and then everyone laughs. OK, so yeah. it's no longer because I feel like 10 years ago that wouldn't be the case. I would still say out in public. I think we do it a little bit more in public. Then we the say fag more. That's classic our friend. Group. But I think easily that'll change. And then we're just in Salt Lake. That's true. We're so not do we really in. Know? I can't really say anything about like L.A. or not. Yeah, I'm sure they say it a lot more. Oh, hi, Simone. Yeah, I like it. Good faggot facts, Corey. Someone's like fags. Simone's like, fucking facts. We're like, no, Simone. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to get into my spooky scoop. Then afterwards, we're going to take a quick little break. Yeah, so my spooky time. scoop is a part two to my spooky scoop last week. Yes. Last week, I talked about the fun part of my spooky scoop. Oh, we're not being fun now? It's not being fun Damn anymore. It. This is very serious. And then we'll Damn take it. shots so we can have fun again. And then we'll get serious with Ted Bundy. Okay. So last week, I talked about last meals that um, you know people Ooh, would yeah. have if they had the death penalty. They're getting executed. So today I'm talking about the death penalty and capital punishment, a.k.a. the death penalty. So it's pretty serious. Yeah. So what is the death penalty? Jesus. Jesus. Um, (laughs) Jesus Christ is the death penalty. There was both an exclamation and a definition. Yeah. So capital punishment, a.k.a. the death penalty, is a government-sanctioned practice where a person is killed by the state as a punishment for its crime, for a crime. Um, Crimes are punishable by death are known as capital crimes or capital offenses, and they commonly include offenses such as murder, Murder. mass murder, terrorism, treason, espionage, offenses against the state, espionage, piracy, drug trafficking, war crimes, crimes against humanity, and genocide. Um, But this kind of depends on the country. Badass to be killed for espionage. Yeah, right. That'd be cool. I'm like, yeah, bitch. We're like so my romanticizing that. <laughs> Go- yeah. yeah, I'd be like, if I'm in all, if I'm in black leather and like smoking a cigarette, yeah. you can fucking kill me. For Currently, espionage. the FBI just tuned into our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Russians are like licking their clits. Right yeah, now. Like, licking oh, their own clits. Yeah, because they're like fucking contortionist yeah. gymnasts. <laughs> so. That is what the death penalty, it kind of, the the crimes that are punishable by death kind of depends on the country, but those are the general type of crimes that would be punishable by death. So what ways can someone die? So this is where we get fun. This is where it gets fun, everybody, is talking about death and stuff. So we're going to talk about the different methods used to carry out the death penalty in specifically the United States. Okay. Because that's where we're at, bitches. We're in Utah. Ute. Um, So first one is hanging. Fun. So, <laughs> what's behind door number one? Hanging. <laughs> okay. So, until the beginning of the 20th century, hanging was the most common method of execution in Damn. the United States. However, hanging didn't always work. There were problems with hanging. For example, if let's say the noose was not put in the right position, someone could be decapitated. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to laugh, but that's <laughs> horrific to think about. <laughs> like, okay, here's the thing about hanging, the weird thing, at, at least according to movies, yeah. is like when the hanging happened in your village, like everyone would roll up to the Everyone's hanging. Like, <laughs> it's like 2 p.m. Salem Witch Oh my witch God, trials. I would so be there. I'd be like, hell yeah, there's another <laughs> fucking hanging. Let's face it, Corey and I would be the executioners. We, yeah. <laughs> as I'm like, without masks. As I'm like soaking wet. Doing yeah. it, everyone's like, what? 
that. <laughs> okay, so the problem with hanging, like I said, is you could be decapitated. True. Um, the other one is it could be, if it's not tight enough, it would just slowly strangle the person to death. So it would be a pretty gruesome and graphic scene yeah. of the person just like grasping for air. No, yeah, my two cents also. Yeah, like if you, it is a very, it could be semi very precise, like depending on height and weight, yeah. you had to be like, if the rope was too long or too short, you'd either be decapitated or just sit there for fucking ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and like I said, bef- this is before the 20th century is when hanging was the most common form of, ex- of um, execution. The next one we're going to talk about was electric chair. So New York built the first electric chair and they first used it to execute a prisoner in August 6, 1890. So this is a long time ago. Wow. Um, other states also adopted the electric chair as a method of execution, believing that it was a less painful way to die than hanging because I guess it was a little bit kind of more guaranteed, I guess. We're yeah. hanging. There's a lot of ways you can go wrong. Um, but it did eventually become clear that dying in an Whoa. electric chair was very painful. Whoa. For example, some chairs wouldn't wor- work properly, so the prisoner would either burst into flames uh-huh. or because of an electric, like electrical issue, yeah. or they would be wide awake while they're electrocuted, and they would feel like the entire thing. Yeah. Um, now, around the 1980s, most states began to use lethal injection instead. Now, before we get into lethal injection, oh, we're going to talk about the gas chamber. Okay. So, so while they were still exploring more ways to be a little bit more humane with the death penalty, um, that's when they thought of the gas chamber. So in 1924, Nevada prison officials tried to secretly pump cyanide gas into a death row prisoner. His name was G. John. They pumped it into his cell while he slept. This did not work, <laughs> like, at all. Um, and then they realized after that, like, oh, we're going to have to build a specific room to gas people. So that's when they created the gas chamber for the death penalty. Now, on February 8th, 1924, John became the first person. So poor G. All oh, this poor, <laughs> poor dude. Poor G. John. Um, in 1924, he became the first person to be executed by the actual gas chamber. Damn. So from 1924 to 1972, the United States executed about 600 people in the gas chambers. Whoa. However, by the mid-70s and 80s, the majority of people had started to criticize the use of gas chambers because most of the prisoners suffered a long and extremely painful death. Um, And after one of these executions, um, a federal court in California ruled that execution by lethal gas under the California Protocol is unconstitutionally cruel and unusual punishment because it was fucked up, you guys. Now, also, according to sociologist Clifton Bryant, um, the way it is used to the United States, the gas chamber is, in quotes, the most dangerous, most complicated, and most expensive method of, of administrating the death penalty. So by the late 20th century, most states had switched to using lethal injection. Gas chambers were way expensive. It was painful. It was not a good time. So now let's go through lethal injection. So in the 70s, Oklahoma passed the first law that that allowed executions by lethal injection. Um, this was a practical decision because Oklahoma's old electric chair needed really expensive repairs or they just completely needed to buy a new one, and that's expensive as hell. And building a gas chamber was around $200,000, and this was in the 70s. Um, however, executing a person by lethal injection costed about 10 bucks, maybe 15 on a bad day. Cheap. So obviously lethal injection was the way to go. It was cheaper. It was faster. It was easier. Um, it grew more and more popular um, in death penalty states. It was viewed as the less painful with less suffering than the electric chair or gas chamber. 
Um, Texas was the first state to execute someone by lethal injection. And this was in 1982. And over the Texas. next 30 years, all of go Texas. Shout out. Shout out. Um, now, over the next 30 years, all of the death penalty states would pass laws making lethal injection the first choice or only choice mm-hmm. um, when it comes to execution. Some states still allow the prisoner to choose. Um, like I think Jordan said a couple days ago that Utah is one of those still, or it was. You can do the firing changed. squad here. So you can do the firing squad uh-huh. here. Last death penalty Ooh, wait, fact. Wait, can I have two cents? Yeah, of course. Okay, so two cents. Um, this is going to be a little bit of paraphrasing, so I'm not going to be extremely factual, but uh, most of this information is pretty real. So how lethal injection works, you do you have like you have three, three separate serums that you put in. The first one is the paralytic. Or no, the first one uh, slows your heart rate or something like that. Yeah. The second one is the paralytic. So and then the anything. third one is the one that kills you. Yeah. The thing is, is that the second one, the paralytic, used to be made in Europe or something like that. But they have completely, or I think it might just be only England, and that's where America would buy it from. But there's been a drug shortage since then. Yeah, there's yeah. been a drug shortage because they've stopped, they have deemed it inhumane. Yeah. The death penalty overall, I believe. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Um, and so America has looked to either themselves or other countries who are not as developed overall to make it. So there's been a lot of problems with the second, the paralytic. And so recently, as in the past 10 years, there have been a lot of complications or botches, as you say, when you botch the, the death penalty, the yeah. sentence. Um, so what a lot of people do is the first one will work, their heart rate will slow and they're sort of go a little bit, you know, woozy or whatever. And then the second one, the paralytic, which is supposed to make it the most humane so they don't feel anything, is the work. one that doesn't work a yeah. lot. And that is like the percentage is is way high. Like I've heard the percentage is recently on another podcast and the percentage is way high compared to the other ones of how much it debotches or like botches. And so they feel the pain, but they can't respond because they have the paralytic, like because... Um, or because I think the first one is like a paralytic and the second one just like makes you not feel something. I forget the exact like terminology. But regardless, one of them doesn't work. So it makes, so the prisoner can still feel yeah. the full extent of the pain. It's brutal. It's yeah. inhumane completely. I was, I actually wrote like about two or three paragraphs just based off what you're saying, Corey. Yeah. But I like erased it. Cause I was like, we'll no, just seriously. paraphrase it together. Yeah. And, and a uh, radio lab has an entire episode about it, like about this. And it's really cool because it sort of makes you look at, cause radio lab is really good at being like, hey, this is something that we all agree is probably bad, but wait, here's the actual facts. It might be sort of pretty good. Mm. So they they talk about how Utah and some other states that are mostly Republican to a sen- in a sense or conservative in a sense have adopted um, the firing squad recently again in the past 10 years as a way of killing. Because they realized lethal injection. Yeah, so and at gnarly. the beginning you're like, what the fuck? But then the how, it's a lot harder to botch a firing squad so in the end it's more immediate and more humane now i'm not saying that it doesn't happen where they like you know they don't immediately kill the person yeah but i'm just saying statistically it works better it may not seem or sound or you know as you know effective but it's just interesting to like go into all those facts yeah the death penalty is like opening a can of worms there's so much to the death penalty it's pretty interesting Uh, but those are my oh i have actually one more fact um, so it's which states still have the death penalty. Ooh, yeah. So there's 30 states. I'm going to read up all the states. Sorry, there's a bunch of them. Do it, do it, so do 20 it. states no longer have the death penalty. 30 states still do. Some of these states are like in the middle of either getting rid of the death penalty mm. or rewriting their death penalty laws. But the, but for the most part, like these are like legal. Like Chan as of right now, people to, are on death row. Chan's uh, going to deliver them in the form of the poker app. Yes. Go. Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, <laughs> California, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Idaho. 
Indiana, yes, Kansas, yes, yes. Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Ohio, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Oregon, not Oregon, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Virginia, Wyoming. Gotta catch them all. Gotta catch them all. Gotta death penalty. Death penalty. Death penalty. Death penalty. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so if you, you didn't catch those states, Nanner and I, <laughs> but they're on my Google Docs. Go watch the so. Poker Rap. Go watch the Poker Rap. <laughs> Boom. The end. So now we are going to take a short little break. We're going to take some more whiskey shots with Kahlua's Chasers. While we're doing that, listen to these kick-ass words by our friends at Murd Up. Hi, everyone. I'm Daniel. I'm Holly. And we are the hosts of Murd Up, a murder story podcast. It's just me reading murder stories to Daniel that he knows nothing about. Nothing at all. Like Jon Snow. So I'm just like, uh, what? And are you serious? And a whole lot more. It's one case per episode, and it comes out every Monday. You do not have to be a True Crime fan to enjoy. That's right. I'm not. Yes. But I, uh, I enjoy it. But if you are a True Crime fan... That works, too. There it is. Murder Up Mondays. Murderuppodcast.com. See ya. Peace. Yeah, you can keep saying Okay, we are back. You just heard from our friends, Murder Up. Yes. They're a wonderful podcast. Go ahead and listen to them. We took a shot while you were listening. Yeah. I took like a half shot. Probably like 75% of a shot. Yo, we haven't taken shots for a while. I'm hammered. We took a shot last episode, Mm -hmm. but then before that... Nothing. I don't remember when. Just yeah. Last summer at San Diego oh, at Pride. Pride. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Oh, uh, all the Polaroids. You know, I'm redoing my Polaroid wall right now. Yes. You can see them all on the coffee table. I have them like lined up. Uh-huh. Yeah, you Polaroid. have like the numbers. Yeah. Um, I looked at San Diego Pride photos and I got so sad that we're not doing a big trip all together this yeah. summer. Yeah. Oh, it's fine. We'll get over it. I was like, Simone. oh, so like so fun. Just she's obsessed with yo simone's going crazy right now well we're talking about this fall we want to do hollywood horror nights everybody we need to and i know for sure you (laughs) it's for sure us and tyler yeah and tyler will want to go jordan has to go because he is forced to okay we will let's go do something for specifically jordan in that trip then if he's Um, gonna deal with us okay we'll go on like a bike ride (laughs) okay let's all go on a fucking bike and then if you are a podcast listener and you want to hang out with us and you want to come with us to hollywood horror nights we can go to the winchester house Yes. Fun, and we go to the Queen Mary. Yes. Okay, uh, yes. we're gonna go to California this fall. <laughs> we just decided. Yeah, that'd be it. so fun. Yeah, it could be good, like, like a, a three-day, four-day trip. Yeah, that'd be fun. and you and I can make a longer trip out of it, and people can join us later. Yeah, like we could fly out to go hit up the Queen Mary and the Winchester yeah. House just together. Yeah, and they could drive out or something. Okay, well, let's jump into this and do Halloween Horror Nights. Oh my God! So I'm going to do. This is part two. If you have not listened to part yeah. one yet, definitely go back and Why? listen to part Why one because we're just picking off right where we left off. So the last thing that I talked about is I talked about how he murdered a bunch of people in in Utah and also Colorado. Yes. And then he got arrested for Utah stuff for an for an, a kidnapping or a attempt to kidnap, and then he got sent over to Colorado because he was under um, arrest for murder in Colorado. Yeah. So he spent a couple months in a Colorado jail. And then he decided to escape. And so the last thing I left off on was a quote directly from the Ted Daddy himself, Ted Bundy. He said, and I quote, finally, I stood right before it. I hesitated. You cannot believe the thoughts that that flipped through my mind. I could be free. The windows were open and the fresh air is blowing through through and the sky was blue. And I said, I'm ready to go. And I walked out the window and I jumped out. Down. And that's where he left off. His first escape in Colorado. Okay. Boom, Corey, take so, it over. So, baton passed. So, seconds after hitting the ground, Bundy stood up, ran across the street, 
jumped over a fence and began running down alleyways until he came to a gorge by the Roaring Fork River. Say that three times or five times fast. I cannot. Um, just out of Aspen, Colorado. So he comes up to Roaring Fork <laughs> River. I can't say it, y'all. Ever Spell since it. learning Spanish, saying hard R's is hard. Roar, like a like the river like roars roar. loud. Oh, roar. Roaring. Roaring. I can't, hard R's sometimes, especially when I'm drunk, it's like easier to speak okay, Spanish. So it's and a to roaring English. river. Roar, yeah. Yeah, okay, Roaring roar. Fork River. <laughs> I can't do it. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Roaring River. Roaring Fork River. Okay. We're going with it. Oh, drunk. Okay. So minutes after Bundy escaped, however, a woman rushed into the courthouse and told officials that she had just seen a man jumping out of the second story window. They're like, yo, what the fuck? No, Yeah. She literally like comes in. She's like, I saw a fucking man jump out of the fucking second story window. And they're like, has anyone And everyone's like, oh, shit. So after the officials searched the second floor and then the whole courthouse and jail, they quickly realized that the man was Ted Bundy himself. Theodore Robert Bundy. So this is really sad. Now, one of the men that was crucial to putting Bundy away, who Chanda mentioned last episode, was a detective by the name of Mike Fisher. So he had had knee surgery very recently, I think literally the day before. And so he wakes up that day. And it's like, you know, semi late in the day. It's like 11 because they break for um, like he jumps when they break for like mid morning recess. Recess. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, he's standing in the hall smoking cigarettes. Bundy's yeah. in the library because so Bundy hot. was um, working as his own defense as well. So yeah. that's why he had access to the library. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. We haven't said that before. Yeah. He's his own defense. So he gets access to go look and search the library. But they literally all let him sit in this library. By with himself. This huge ass window open. He's not chained too because they're just trying to be respectful and because he's a lawyer. Because I think like the... by there's some law yeah. that makes it so uh-huh. since he's his own To respect attorney, the office of lawyer. Yeah. yeah like they he, don't do he's it. He's not shackled at all. Mm-hmm. So, so he, he's. Yo, yeah, he's just Kicking chilling it. around the fucking library in yeah. the courthouse. Yeah. Basically, Mike Fisher wakes up and, like, they call him and they're like, hey, Ted Bundy got away. And he's like, what the fuck? And then him and specifically one other official that I'm not naming just because, um, just too many names I'm throwing at you. Isn't that the truth about All this they could Ted do Bundy. is sit there dumbfounded as they remembered the warnings of a clerk that worked at the courthouse telling them that she thought Bundy was going to jump from the one of the windows on the third floor earlier that week. Whoa. So what this woman had witnessed is that Ted Bundy kept making up a lot of like weird little lies of like, or reasons to be like, Oh no, I want to go like, I want to go make copies of my law stuff. Like, you know, copy his like law books that he's reading to like get his evidences and stuff like that. And he'd be like, no, I want to do it. I like to do a copy of my own law. It just is like, you know, a process I do for like my preparation. And that fits Ted Bundy's character because he wants to be in complete control of everything. Yeah. So it's fitting Ted Bundy. No, exactly. And it, and also she would she noticed, though, hey, we always have the third window open because it's, you know, hot up there and we don't have AC up there because fucking 1970s Utah or Colorado. Sorry. Yeah. And so she was like, hmm, I think he's going to jump out. Y'all should not let him walk around freely. So she tells Mike Fisher this and another official at the courthouse. But did they listen? And they did not listen because she's a fucking girl and they're fucking men. And because what do women yeah, know? What does she know? Nothing. She doesn't know anything. She's a fucking <laughs> vagina. Um, her vagina confuses her. Her, She doesn't have a dick in it. Right? (laughs) She needs that dick. That's from like episode of whatever Chris was listening to. Yeah, Chris, this is for you. That's for you, Chris. (laughs) Basically, um, so like meanwhile this is going on, 
Bundy's journey over the next five days as he runs out of Aspen, Colorado and towards uh, the Aspen Mountain. Um, over the next five days, it is filled with starvation, near hypothermia. Also, you could probably argue hypothermia because he has a lot of delusions and a loss of awareness of where he is. So basically, he's like, okay, I need to make it to Crested Butte, B-U-T-T-E. I just want to call it Crested Butte. Butte. Butte? I would butte? say Butte. Butte? Okay. B-U-T-T-E. We're just going to call it Crested Butt because that's more fun. Or Butt. Yeah, Crested Butt. I just knew a person in high school where their last name was spelled the exact same way, and they said Butte. Okay, so let's say Butte. But we'll say Butt. But Butt's more fun. It's way more fun. Okay, so Crested Butt. Crested Butt. Yeah, so um, so basically he's like, okay, I know where the town of Crested Butt is. I need to make it to Crested Butt. <laughs> Crested's And he's ass. like, if I just get over Aspen Mountain right here and then like traverse sort of the mountainscape, the mountainside a little bit, I can eventually get to Crested Butt. And he's like, I know where that is. If I could get there, I'll steal a car and then I'll be on my way. So he basically just completely underestimates the weather and starvation <laughs> and the wilderness. With, with anything outdoors. <laughs> right, we're like, we're fine. I'm like, I packed granola <laughs> no, bars. No, we are good. We saved people's lives in Moab. We did. Okay. That is a bone. That we is a Patreon episode. We ourselves got episode. lost, but we saved people. Okay. okay. We're going to bring Davis, and that's going to be a Patreon no, episode. No, we will, we will talk about that episode. That is, y'all, that, y'all, like, we literally to, saved, like, like suck six our lives. own clits and dicks. That is memoir worthy. <laughs> it our, totally is. Our getting lost on acid in Moab. Twelve I'm not even joking. people on acid saved like six Mormons. Mormons that decided to try weed desert. for the first time getting lost in the desert. Like y'all. Anyways. So stay tuned. Bonus so episode with Davis. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, so um, after a couple of days of traveling, he was losing pounds a day. The book that I said wrote, like literally he was using pounds a day. He lost 30 pounds, no, seriously, right? while I was reading it, I was like, uh, maybe I should like run into the mountains <laughs> for five days. <laughs> um, Goals. So he came across a cabin and after passing uh, passing it, he got caught up in a storm and decided to seek refuge in it. I think this is, um, I can't remember the exact dates. Do you remember the exact dates? I think it's it's early or late fall. So it's getting cold. I know for a fact it's early or late fall. It would be later fall then. Okay. So it's late fall, almost November, I think. (laughs) And he is, uh, he comes across a crab mood. He's like, no, I need to keep going. I can make it. And then he realizes, oh, fuck, the storm hits. It starts snowing. It gets cold. He needs to go. So he runs back to, that was scared me. That, Uh, yeah. Simone, you need to chill out. Um, So she, he runs back to the cabin and he breaks into a window and he just basically falls asleep and collapses on the couch and just falls asleep or whatever. Um, he wakes up the next norm- morning, feel a little bit refreshed. He gets, quoting him, he gets up, he takes a, a 22 rifle, some ammunition for the rifle, food, a blanket, a flashlight, and a first aid kit. That is like the jackpot of cabins you can walk upon. No, really? If I was escaping, I'd be like, damn, fuck yeah. Like, this is like video game status. Like, fuck yeah. This, this is, is a safe want. house. I'm about to meet the final yeah, boss. Yeah, like, where's my typewriter? <laughs> I need to save. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, his last day on the mountain, Bundy spent dodging search parties and even helicopters. He ran into, he even, y'all, this is crazy. He even ran into an armed man who was on, was visiting his property that he owned on the mountain, who when he saw Ted Bundy told him to be careful as there was a manhunt out for the killer named Ted Bundy. Oh I'm my not even joking. God. Like that is le- legit. That's crazy. Yeah. They're um, like, so what's your name, sir? He's like, Bob. He's like, <laughs> Bobby, 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 Tim, Bobby, Tim, not Ted Bundy, not Ted Bundy. Right. <laughs> 
So at the end of the fifth day running from the law, Ted Bundy, exhausted and delirious, found himself back at the town of Aspen, Colorado. That is frustrating. He immediately realized his error and like got fucking pissed off, but he quickly decided that his best bet was to steal a car and then drive to Denver. And so a few minutes uh, later, Bundy found a blue Cadillac with the keys under the driver's seat and took what? off down Highway 82. Around 2 a.m. on Sunday morning of June 12th, 1977... A patrol car saw a blue Cadillac swerve into the street, leaving the officers to believe that a drunk was behind the wheel. When they pulled the car over, they quickly realized that it was Ted Bundy himself. Damn. And Bundy was back in jail once again. Damn. Damn, homie. <laughs> Do you know that's from? Damn, homie. I think it's I from that. Scary Movie Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they show up and the and the only girl in the posse is like, "Damn, homie!" <laughs> and then they shoot each other. I love those. Oh yeah, I love Scary Movie Three. It's so good. I love those movies. Bunny goes back to jail in Aspen and continues to pri- primarily re- represent himself in court. So when I say primarily, Classic I think he was the official representative of himself, but there was also a dude that was long involved in his court cases. I forget his name because that's a whole nother like just go watch the fucking documentary on Netflix. Um, he is involved and like would give him sort of advice, be like, Hey, maybe don't say this. Hey, maybe do. But Ted Bundy would like 90% of the time, ignore whatever the fuck this guy That's said. That's just Bundy. Yeah. He decided Bundy decided that it was best, uh, best bet to be sent somewhere else to be tried as the people of Aspen already now know who he is. He's escaped. So when he's trial by jury, he will like for sure be convicted of his crimes. So he basically convinces the judge to like be like oh yeah i should be put somewhere else for like random ass reasons because bundy's good at coming up with random ass reasons he's good at manipulating yeah good at manipulating thank you to get what he wants and so he's sent to colorado springs which is technically el paso county jail and apparently i've been trying to look up the reasons why this is so bad but there's a really good quote in the book um and again i will say the book it is the bundy murders a comprehensive author? history and is by do you remember who it is i don't it's kevin m sullivan so basically yeah like this is a bad jail it is basically like, like ted bundy jail. and jail. everybody knows that ted bundy could not do his manipulation and escapes that he's done before if he's sent to this jail so um there's even like a cool quote in the book where uh it notes that ted bundy is like you could see on his face it's like this jur this lawyer dude that's helping him out it just there's sort of quotes from him where he's like he could see ted bundy like feeling that he won when the when the judge like agrees with ted bundy being moved before he gets a new trial mm. and then when the jur- when the judge says that he's moved to this place bundy like his countenance immediately changes to be like fuck i fucked myself up yeah and so um it's like a basement old school jail right it's like super yeah it's like no they don't take shit it's just like you are in jail shut the fuck up he's nothing special yeah he's a regular person and that's what bothered him it was that he was no longer ted bundy he was just another person in jail yeah like you're just gonna go to this other big ass jail and be lost in the system and like fuck you until you get tried and then you go on to on to death row like fuck you damn and he knew that so later that day in his cell bundy knew it was time for him to leave Using a hacksaw lended to him by a fellow inmate. Casual. I don't even know where that happens. Bundy cut away at the welds, holding together a loose light fixture until he was able to remove it completely, revealing a small hole revealing a small hole 
that led to a crawl space over the cells, through which Bundy crawled through over the next few nights as he examined the next route of his escape, finding that the crawl space took him over the jailer's apartment. Oh. So again, officials knew about the loose light fixture. And even Mike Fisher himself, the same dude who had the knee surgery, yeah. Mike Fisher himself informed officials to relocate Bundy within the jail as numerous inmates reported hearing Bundy rummage in the ceiling for multiple nights. <laughs> like, Whoa. I had no idea about this. I don't I even, didn't know I don't about even think that, the documentary yeah. mentions this. I, yeah, Netflix. I don't think it does either. Yeah. I've, I've watched, like, multiple documentaries at this point. Yeah. But, like, this That's dude crazy. was literally, like, getting this information from, from inmates and being like, y'all, please relo- relocate him to a different cell even. Like, he can get escape. Like, people are hearing him in uh, the cell. And, like, we obviously know he's already an escaping type. Like, yeah. pay attention to these threats or these claims. It's crazy that they didn't listen. No, yeah. This is it, crazy. It, it, no, they even, like, the book notes that it, the, the people would just reply with, but he's, like, a really good inmate. He doesn't give us trouble. He does what we tell him to, and then he's quiet. That's Ted Bunny's whole thing is exactly. he's, he's he manipulates you. He's charming. Yeah. It's like, how could it be him? He wouldn't be the one to commit the crimes. I'm yeah. Ted Bundy. I'm like, a nice guy. I don't even, I don't even know yeah. how you use that excuse for him after he's already escaped once like what the fuck yeah like he's already shown to you that he's willing to jump from a second floor to escape of course he's going if he could possibly you know carve out a hole in his ceiling of his jail cell of course he would like of course he would yeah of course he would people are so stupid anyways then on the friday night of december 30th Bundy took clothes and law books, then stuffed them in his bed to make it look like a person, and slipped into the crawl space. There he waited until an officer and his wife left for a movie until dropping down into the closet of the apartment. There he changed into civilian clothing and ran out into the cold and snowy night of Glenwood Springs, with $700 worth of donations made to him to aid him in his defense. Whoa. So apparently people were giving him money to aid him in the defense. I don't Mormons. know how that happens. Mormons <laughs> probably. Girl, he had like $700 in 1977 money. That's probably double, I would say at least. Probably pretty easily. Yeah. That's crazy. There's a thing we can you can look up online for Just that. Just Google, but Yeah. Okay, go but on. y'all, a lot of fucking money. Yeah. So It took Bundy several hours to find a car, and again, that got him out of town, but soon uh, it broke down. Then he was able to hitch a ride to with an ex-soldier and then a Greyhound bus to Denver, where he then bought a plane ticket to Chicago with plans to start a new life. This is a a side question. Yeah. Okay, let's pretend we're Ted Bundy. Yes. And he's driving to Denver, and he just booked that plane ticket to Chicago, and he wanted to start the new life. Do you think there was a part of him that wanted to start the new life completely fresh, like without murdering people in the future or do you think a part of him just wanted to change location to continue the murdering rampage or do you think he wanted to stop murdering what do you think he wanted to do yeah so that's where we get into like my whole i think personally controversial like opinion on these guys as you read more about them um and i mentioned this a little bit last time but it's the whole thing of like how when we read or hear on the news about these kinds of people, it's just like this person is a monster that they could kill these people and then compartmentalize compartmentalize that in their psyche and then continue on. So like I will literally go later on where she, this guy literally kills somebody and then later that day goes on a date with a girl. That's crazy. So it's just crazy. But I I think it's that. I think it's really like partially the monster 
part where they compartmentalize that. But I think they only compartmentalize that because they, um, some, not all, but a, I think a good number of serial killers are really trying to be a real person. Yeah. Because nobody wants to destroy themselves. Yeah. Or, or okay, well, you could, or Freud's like, nah, you bitch. Yeah. And uh, we true. all secretly want to destroy ourselves, I guess, in like Freud's, Should you be. know, psycho yeah. analytic. You want to fuck your mom? <laughs> yeah, right, right. I'm like, yes. But basically, I, I just think it's like they want to try and be a good person, but they have this like crazy, weird, taboo, disgusting desires that they just can't ignore. And so that's why they go through these whole cycles. That's why Ted Bundy has the whole about a month cycle. It's literally almost yeah. every time about a month yeah, where he, he doesn't kills. do anything and then it s- simmers back up in him. And 99% of the time that I've seen with these dude, or not 9 but like 90% of the time, it's like they're fine, and then the the urge or the entity or whatever they call it, yeah. these serial killers call it, it's like I finally couldn't ignore it again, so I had to go on another kill spree or yeah. another kill. I couldn't ignore Oof. it anymore. That's and scary. most of these guys have families. They have multiple families sometimes. Yeah. Like, I, I really think it is. I think it's them really right after they get a kill like five days later or a few days later, they're like, fuck, I don't want to do this. This is horrible. I love it, but I hate it. They have, it. like, a sense of remorse. Yeah. That's just, that's interesting. I guess because I, I look into so many serial killers and I, and I see that. Or, like, some people, they have their routines. They have, like, the struggle between, even though they might not even experience empathy or remorse, they do know, like, what I'm doing isn't necessarily right. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Ted Bundy, for example, like, when he first started killing, he had that struggle. Like, oh, God, like, what am I going to do? And then he killed the first girl and he was like, oh, fuck, what do I do now? And like Jeff, but there's also other serial killers where it's different. Where there's like Jeffrey Dahmer, for example, where he was just a ruthless murderer, mm-hmm. where he was just always constantly looking for his next victim. Yeah. Instead of that struggle, but I just wonder with Ted Bundy, because you said he wanted to start a new life. If there was a part of him that really did think that he was going to be able to. And stop no, yeah, killing. I'm about to sort of mention that a little bit. He literally was like, "I want to go live a new life," and then he quickly realizes he can't that once the once he becomes anonymous again and he like feels safe, That's the monotony of like regular life just like starts to itch at him Ugh. and like, or, you know, scratch at him or bother him. And that itch to kill the like starts to simmer again, starts to build. Blech. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just like, I just really believe in like the duality or like, I don't know a good word, like the multiplicity of humans where you can like something, but at the same time, not like it. I, yeah. So porn. I just feel exactly <laughs> like porn is a great example because you watch porn. Yeah, and the second you come, you're like, you fucking ho- the whole the Natalie, Natalie Portman, Portman black swan <laughs> racing whore off the mirror thing. You fucking like, yeah. totally like porn is yeah. a great example because you know like you watch porn, you're into it in the second, and the second it's over, you're like, oh god. Like, Every this gay is- man right now, go look at the fucking shit you've sent people on Grinder yeah. when you were horny. Yeah, you're not the same person as you were. I, I can relate now. <laughs> Where I'm like, yeah, fuck me in the ass and then pee in my mouth. And, and then if I looked at that right now, I'd like, be like, what the fuck? You're what? like, bitch, like, want to get coffee? <laughs> like, but like what? a day from now, tomorrow night, I'll be like, fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, humans, the mind is very interesting. Yeah, that, that yeah, it's like cause your desires can really psychology so where it's like, yeah. they can really identify these things, but everyone's different and we really you can't just label somebody as that and that's the definitive label that they have you know i don't like you know we're not scientists or whatever but like 
I just feel like there's a duality to people and they can like something and dislike something at the same time. I don't know. I'm not trying to be apologetic for him, but I'm just trying to say like, while these people are such monsters at the same time, they still are human. I really believe they still are human as much as media wants to spin it that they're not. And that's what made Ted Bundy so crazy is that it was the first time where people realized that. Yeah. It's like, Oh, this, that my husband, my friend, my best friend, this person I went to school with, my coworker, they are the same as Ted Bundy's. Yeah. They're like they, you know, they're friendly, they're charismatic. He was like basically a father to a girl, like Liz's uh, daughter. So it's it's just in- yeah, like Ted Bundy was the first case where made people realize that a serial killer could be anybody, yeah. or they could walk down the street and pass a serial killer. Like the you know serial killer Ted Bundy even said himself like a ter- serial killer won't come out with drool down his chin and like crazy vampire teeth like a serial killer can look like your dream guy pretty much but i also love it those like quotes of other people when they're like oh i saw him that night and he looked at me and i saw the like soulless black eyes that were just staring at me and i was like i'm like i'm turned on and scared at the same time totally okay i'll let you continue sorry (laughs) Sorry, i just had to bring up that whole thing um where the fuck was you're just talking about how he he was currently escaping oh yeah he went to Chicago chicago to get a new life okay so yeah so he um gets to denver and then he buys a plane ticket and goes to chicago uh, with plans to start a new life. So Bundy only had sev- a 17-hour lead over the officials, and it took Mike Fisher even longer to figure out what happened. So again, he like literally that whole day, I think it's like a Friday night and Saturday morning that that happens. So that Saturday morning, he goes and works. Oh my God, this is so funny. So Saturday morning, he goes and works out with his wife. Um, After he goes and works out, I forget exactly when, but he sees the sheriff that is over Ted Bundy, over the people who are over Ted Bundy. Yeah. And the sheriff passes him and they wave and say hi. At that time, the sheriff already knew that Ted Bundy got out, but the sheriff was too embarrassed to, and scared of Mike's reaction. So he doesn't tell Mike, Mike Fisher what happened. If that's not like mm-hmm. human. <laughs> like, yeah, like that poor sheriff guy and like poor Mike to just like, sacrifice all of his life to like get Ted Bundy in bars twice. That's and crazy. He escapes because people are stupid. He's like, I'm off to breakfast with my wife. The sheriff's like, okay, I'll He's see like, you later. Have a good like, time. I'll try to see I'll try to solve this by myself. <laughs> and I'm gonna wait to the absolute last moment to get you involved because uh-huh. I'm scared and embarrassed. That's exactly what happened. And then he remembers figuring out and even to this day he will use the word he like pauses and uses the word livid. Um, so after landing in Chicago, Bundy took an Amtrak to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where just after midnight on January 1st of 1978, um, so New Year's Day, uh, Bundy Happy checked into the downtown YMCA. So um, so where we get to ju- just what we sort of talked about, after a few days of feeling trapped in a drift in this newfound quote-unquote freedom, Bundy began looking at various colleges on the southern east coast. He literally was looking up to go, like, he was just like, I'm not doing anything here. I'm not progressing in a normal life. I'm bored. I want to move to a town where there's a college where I can start a new life. But at the same time, also find vulnerable women. So, yeah. So, he basically finds um, the best, his best pick he thinks that he can get into is to um, go to Tallahassee, to Florida State. After he picks, you know, Florida State and Tallahassee, he stole another car and drove to Atlanta, where he then purchased a Trailways bus ticket to Tallahassee. So going by the name of Chris Hagen, Bundy took an upstairs room in an old house at 409 West College Avenue. 
A couple weeks went by as Bundy assimilated into the college lifestyle, passing off as an older law student. He survived off of stealing credit cards and mooching off of his fellow but distant new friends. So sort of notes here into the book um, that I was reading how he easily sort of enjoyed this time and this is why he was pretty good at evading police on top of his you know pastime working with the police in Washington as we mentioned earlier where he sort of tapped back into growing up in a household with four other siblings where his you know where his father really barely made ends meet and so he would steal a lot as I mentioned a little bit little bit i didn't really go deeply into it but bundy really stole a lot we mentioned that he made the forging ski tickets and stuff like that but he he stole a lot growing up and he liked it and he knew he was good at it and it got him it sort of feeded his possession yeah possession and uh the exhilaration from stealing he notes a lot that it was like that and then above that is the sexual killing that he liked going off that elizabeth clover his girlfriend that i talked about in part one Mm -hmm. um she mentioned during the part where I talked about where she talked to detectives and she was like, oh, yeah, like I noticed that he had women's clothing, this and that. There was these huge sections where pretty much she would talk about all the things that that Bundy would randomly have. Like he would have a new car stereo mm-hmm. or a new Walkman. No, Walkmans did not exist yet. A new tape player? What existed a in Walkman, the A Walkman, yeah, would, re- would exist. Sure. Barely, no, maybe? No, it wouldn't exist 70, yet. Regardless, 77? Ted Bundy would have all yeah. these new and cool like gadgets and gizmos, and she and she knew that like Bundy couldn't afford it, and she's like, where would you get it? And he'd come up with these super lame excuses. So he was like consistently stealing from the victims and stealing, you know, whether it was their lives or physical items in their lives from the victims while he was killing. That she's was like, a part of fuck? it, was <laughs> him stealing stuff, because it was the possession that he always wanted and crazy. oh yeah he liked the power that he, he got liked from the that. power yeah Ooh. Ooh. say it again he was a he was a dom <laughs> in a bad way <laughs> and never in a bad he was way. an extreme version of a dom <laughs> he was the most extreme dom you can possibly <laughs> dom <laughs> as his existence became less about avoiding detection and surviving and surviving his urge and need to kill simmered until it hits its boiling point on saturday night of january 14th Damn. of 1978 happy late birthday grandma yay so this is where we get to the chai omega sorority house murders is it chai or kai um, or chi i think it's chai but i don't i'm not even sure i'm right yeah me too i'm just gonna say chai and, chi and chai chi i don't it's not chi i don't think it's chi i think it's i think kai it's or chai kai. You, kai might be more right kai kai omega kai omega, kai omega sounds, right. sounds more right than chai omega yeah, yeah chai omega kai sounds omega. like a star so we're saying kai omega what's kai up kai? Um, hey, kai does he listen to this no he doesn't <laughs> he has way he has other things kai is too straight for this podcast yeah he's I'm too straight sure. <laughs> so around 3 a.m 3 a.m that night nita neary was dropped off at the kai omega after a date with her boyfriend the first signs that something was off was that the door was open to the grounds um, with a combination lock that was opened. So ignoring this, Nita entered the house, locked the door behind her, and then proceeded to turn off some lights left on by her sisters. As she did so, she heard a thud. Oh, Believing God. her boyfriend had taken a spill down the stairs, she raced back to the window but only saw a deserted parking lot. She then walked back through the lower level of the sorority house well, when she heard the sound of feet running along the hallway above her. That's creepy. Ew. Um, believing it was only another resident, goddamn girl, coming down to see who was downstairs, Nita continued on her way to the foyer. 
where she abruptly stopped at the sight of a man running down the steps and crouching at the front door. <gasps> crouching? Mm-hmm. Uh, frozen, she watched as he turned the doorknob with his left hand. On his right hand, he held some type of club. Uh, the next instant, he was gone. Nita Neary would later describe the man as wearing a blue toboggan-like cap pulled down close to his eyes, a blue jacket, a lighter colored pant, and the same description would surface later from others who had contact him with him that night. Could you imagine if she showed up like five minutes before, five uh -huh. minutes she after? She could be fucked. Like she she'd be dead. be dead. She'd be one of the dead people yeah. or one of the people who were like, you know, greatly affected, like lifelong effects from being hit by Ted Bundy. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. But so glad she made out with her boyfriend in the car. Yeah. Until 3 a.m. Like, my God. This, however, was not the only time Bundy would be seen that night. I'm going to go into that a little bit. There are at least, like, five or six accounts. I don't know if there's more. There might be a few more. But I'm only going to go over, like, three. Okay? okay. Because there's just a lot of – it'll be, like, repetition, a little boring. So, according to a report filed with the Florida State University Police, a student by the name of Cheryl Rafferty, Rafferty, Rafferty was nearly abducted by a man resembling Bundy's appearance. Bundy had jumped out from behind a bush and began approaching. Startled by his actions, Rafferty, the girl, quickened her pace, as did Bundy. When she saw this, she started running and made it to the safety of the Reynolds Hall, where he ended the chase. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So second, Bundy was also reported uh, two times that night by the same person as he was spotted peering into windows of apartments and houses along the West uh, Pensacola. Oh my God. I said it different ways. No, like Pensacola. Yeah, I know Pensacola. that. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Sorry, y'all. I Pensacola. know how that's pronounced. The West of uh, Pensacola Avenue. My bad. So third, two young women, Carla Jean Black and Valerie Stone reported being stalked by him at Sherrod's, uh, the local nightclub sure. around 2.30 a.m. So just like, you know, three hours before girl gets home or two and a half hours before uh, Nita gets home. Sherrod's is the club right next to the Chi Omega sorority house, like literally Whoa. next door. Um, so there's a few other accounts that happen, and they will also happen right after this whole police fiasco will happen at the Chi Omega house. So the whole thing is like Ted Bundy is like actively – searching for prey yeah sense. like he's lost it and also the important thing to know is that these three that i mentioned along with two other sightings happened before like you know they could time stamp it before the chai omega sorority attacks so basically um, what most people do is they paint a narrative of him trying to find somebody and then just finally losing it and then finding all these girls asleep at the sorority and house and then just going on a spree Whoa. because he's just frustrated and he just wants to get a fucking sexual release. He wants to get that gratification. Go. Yeah. Yeah. And he's been frustrated all night because he's been trying all well, night. He's been frustrated at this point also for months because before yeah. this he was in jail and stuff. Yeah. Everything's been boiling and then it's been taking him all night to finally find victims. And Jesus he does. So he just Christ. goes crazy. This is crazy. Um, so when I go back to Nita Neary, uh, just after Nita sees Bundy run through the door, she quickly goes and gets her friend and wakes her up. And then they go to check to see if the house is okay, like if the doors are locked and everything. And then they go and they find the house president, Jackie McGill. Poor Jackie. And just as they start to tell her what's going on, quote, one girl walks out into the hallway, bloody and moaning, cradling her head in her hands, end quote. And then they, they, so they basically see this. They take her into her room and they're like, oh my God, are you okay? Like, you know, try and see if she's okay. And then immediately they notice the roommate of that same girl, quote, sitting up in bed, moaning and rocking back and forth as she too was also covered in blood, end quote. 
So basically, it's soon determined that both of these girl, girls had their, quote, jaws broken and lacerations across their head. One of the girls even had three teeth knocked out. Like They didn't even notice. And there's like a famous picture of three of these teeth on the bed. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, okay. Um, if you're not mad already, you're just going to get more mad until the end of my segment. I actually, like, I called up Tana, and this is why we're drinking right now. Yeah, bitch. Um, so about the same time, emergency officers discovered a girl named Lisa Levy lying face down in her bed in room four of the sorority house. Uh, she was rushed to a local hospital, but was declared DOA by the attending medical team. So dead on arrival by the attending medical team. So although she was beaten severely, her death was due to strangulation. At the same time, the perpetrator, who we know as Bundy, um, in a fit of animalistic rage, had bitten Levy in the buttocks and almost completely chewed off one of her nipples. That is a quote from the book. Her left butt. Her left butt, yeah. And so I I, I note that specifically. I put that in bold red because that will become important for Chana's segment. Yeah, bitch. Because that is one way that they super locked down that ted bundy's a piece of shit that's the pretty much the biggest way that they locked down ted bundy yeah is the left yeah. butt cheek so soon after officer henry newark of the tallahassee police department arrive at the house and um when he does one of the sorority girls sort of comes down and is like or who's down there is like hey can someone go check room nine and make sure that margaret bowman is all right because she hasn't come out of her room so you know henry officer henry newark officer newark being a smart guy, like immediately knows this is a problem. Yeah. So he goes up by himself and he says sort of uh, paraphrasing, quoting him. He sort of just says as soon as he opened up the door and the light from the hallway shone in her room and he saw blood, he immediately runs into the room and shuts the door behind him so as not to like alarm anybody else. So this is the exact moment when I texted Chana. I'm going to read what he states, um, what he sees. What is officer's name? Officer Henry Newark. Okay. Um, so it's not crazy horrific, but at the same time, it, just for me, while you're reading this in the book, the picture of her is right above it. Mm. Just like, you know, the nice smiling, like total potential. She's a very, like, She has attractive. her entire life ahead of her. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just very, it just sort of hit me a lot. So I'm going to read his report that he had to write afterwards Part, about what he saw. So if you don't want to deal with, like, a little bit of gruesome details, just skip ahead 30 seconds or probably a minute. But I'll, I'm going to read it. This one's like, fuck you. Literally. So you can see she's the she's the darker one Aww. on the right. That makes <sighs> me so, so pretty. Sad. And then I'll read this. Okay. So it's a little bit long, but we're just going to read it. It says, so this is, again, what Henry, uh, New- Officer Henry Newark wrote in his police report. So he's going to refer to himself as the writer because I think that's what you do just to be the most, like, removed from what you're writing and that when you do in official documents. So he writes, Miss Bowman was lying on the bed in the southwest corner of the room with her head and feet pointing in the south and north direction, respectively. The bedspread was covering Miss Bowman's entire body, with the exception of her head, which was tilted to the right, lying on her pillow. This writer pulled back the cover and observed Miss Bowman had been strangled with a pair of nylon pantyhose. Her legs were bent outwardly slightly and spread open. Miss Bowman was lying on her stomach. Her right arm was extended down her side and her left arm was bent with her elbow facing east and her left hand resting on her back. Both palms of the heads were turned upwards. This writer turned Miss Bowen over onto her right side to check for a heartbeat or pulse and discovered neither. This writer looked as at Miss Bowman's head and observed where Miss Bowman had received a crushing blow to her 
right forehead coupled with what appeared to be punctured wounds in the same vicinity. Massive bleeding occurred from both the forehead and the right ear. Additionally, Miss Bowman's neck appeared to be disjointed, leading this writer to believe there was a possible neck fracture. Miss Bowman's body was relatively warm to the touch and her eyes were glassy with pupils dilated. Sorry that that's super specific. It, just reading it uh, again with her picture just sort of realizes like, yeah, we like to make light of this and talk about like Ted Bundy being like a hot daddy, but he's also a disgusting, horrible human being and destroyed like many lives. Welcome to True Crime, Corey. <laughs> so yeah, welcome to True... This is why I do fun ghost stories. That's why you do ghost stories and I do True Crime. And talk about Mothman <laughs> because it's like mostly not real. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's get to sort of his last attack for the night. Finally, sometime around 4 a.m., a woman by the name of Debbie Cicerelli of 431B Dunwoody Street. Um, she heard her neighbor, Cheryl Thomas, crying and pleading with someone. Oh, and then she God. said that, quote, there was a loud pounding noise coming <gasps> from the apartment, basically literally next to her. <gasps> and then after that, everything was silent. <gasps> so troubled by this, Debbie got her roommate and they both started to get Cheryl Thomas's attention. They cried her name through the wall because they're basically sharing like an apartment or duplex or whatever. And they couldn't hear anything. And, and they even tried to call her multiple times, but there was no answer. They could, however, hear sounds of footsteps coming from their friend's apartment. Now this scared them enough that they finally called the police. When the police got there, they, they found Cheryl Thomas bloody and moaning as her face, head, and jaw were bashed in. Around her were stains of semen, the log that he had used to bash her and and also the girls at the uh, Chi Omega house and also pantyhose right next to her. So she had a severed nerve near her her ear that throughout her life caused her to lose her hearing and then also gave her a lot of balance problems. Like she's deaf now? She's alive. I don't think she's deaf. I think she just lost hearing in that one ear. Okay. But she, um, or she might even have some hearing now. I'm not exactly sure. But I know that it caused damage to her hearing and then also gave her balance problems for years. The beating was that severe that it did that. Mm Mm-hmm. What a sick But it severed a near, uh, sorry, severed a nerve near her ear. That's That's crazy. After this happens, um, basically Ted Bundy goes back to his apartment and there's even a quote of some of the people that he lived with one dude is quoted in a later trial of seeing Ted Bundy just like standing on the stairwell of their apartment, looking out over the university. And the dude comes up to him and is like, Hey, what's up Ted Bundy? Or like, but it wasn't his name. It was a different name that he used. And Bundy didn't even look at him. He just kept staring off in the distance. And he said he like looked into Bundy's eyes and just saw nothing and got really like weirded out. So he left and just left Ted Bundy staring there off in the distance. Ew. Um, So Bundy, you know, cleans up. I don't, I don't even think he goes to bed. I think he just immediately gets a, you know, steals another car and then leaves. Um, So he sort of does the same thing he did after he left Michigan or after he left uh, Colorado, he just, starts to steal more credit cards, um, live a little bit, but he only lasts uh, another couple weeks or something like that. So on February 19th, Bundy was driving in Florida when he spotted the Lake City Junior High School. At some point, he spotted 12-year-old Kimberly Diane Leach 
crossing the open ground between the portables that was her first period class to the back doors of the main building. She literally was just walking between classes. Basically, Bundy gets her attention, and when she gets close enough, Bundy snatches her up. So a former firefighter by the name of C.I. Anderson, or C.L. Anderson, I I may have misprinted, I'm sorry, he later testifies in court seeing, quote, a scowling man brought the girl to the passenger side of the vehicle, opened the door, shoved her inside and slammed the door, then jogged around to the driver's side and drove off, end quote. Now, seeing this, Anderson reported that he thought, quote, daddy's going to take the little girl home and give her a spanking, end quote. <gasps> Anderson would wait six months before telling authorities that he saw what he saw that morning. Oh, my God. Just because he brushed it off as a, a daddy's father. gonna go spank someone that's like the Fuck weirdest that. quote it gives me chills every time i read it and say it daddy's yeah. gonna go spanking yeah there's like Fuck so you. much like sexism and yeah, there's too much involved in that there's like, one so many quote. layers to that sentence mm-hmm. you can go every way that's like fucking go. disgusting yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, not to be, like, mean to him. He just grew up in that time. Still. But it, it's just that. fucking ridiculous. That's crazy. Yeah. There's so many ways to interpret that sentence. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Yeah, it's fucking not cool. So just warning really quick. If you don't want to hear this, just skip ahead 30 seconds. So 28 miles from Lake City at some point in a rural area, he stops the van and then rapes Kimberly Leach but doesn't kill her. This is a little bit different from what he usually does because he usually likes to rape and kill at the same time. But then there also are some like the people in Utah and also the people in Washington where he rapes them over a few days. So I guess yeah. it's not that different he from what he's done before. Up. I mean, he killed over 30 people, so he he will spice it up occasionally. That's true, yeah. So basically he rapes her, her and then keeps her alive. Again, this is a 12-year-old girl. Um, he finally sort of keeps her alive a little bit. And then on Monday, so a few days later, he stumbles upon a small and empty hog shed with a metal roof and drags the girl inside and then forces the young girl on her stomach. And then while having sex with her from behind, he stabs and then slashes her in the throat, quickly killing her. Oof. Then that same night, he returns to Tallahassee, dumps the van in a ditch and then goes out and then takes a girl on a date. And goes to dinner. Whoa. Yeah. With that note, I'm going to read one last quote um, from the book. And just to show you sort of how sick this man is. And then I'll take over after that. Yay. Huzzah. So let's go back to Cheryl Thomas. Um, That was the girl that was next door to the two girls that I talked about that were listening to basically she Ted got beat Bundy up attack not her. Killed. Yeah, she got beat up. She had the... Uh, got raped. Yeah, the nerve that got broken in her ear and so she had balancing problems so we're not sure if like i, I think she was raped but i don't think she was raped necessarily but regardless all the way. of semen stains around her yeah yeah so i actually think she wasn't raped uh from this quote so it says after hammering her face head and jaw with the log he was prepared ted bundy was pre- was preparing to do that which gave him the most satisfaction okay. having disrobed at least from the waist down he was about to strangle her with a pair of pantyhose while having anal intercourse with her He was pleased she was not dead. He wanted her to die during the sexual act. Or as the tightening of her muscles heightened his orgasms and overall sense of delight. After hearing the phone ring, that's from the two girls next door, and the sounds of the women talking and moving around next door, he only had time to relieve himself through masturbation. Oh. While he viewed his work now sprawled out before him. Oh my God. Okay. so, So that's graphic, but that's just like sort of a, you know, 
view into his psyche. The fuckery. Uh, that's how funny. he wanted to get off. He wants like the girl's the rectal muscles to tie around his dick. Like he's so focused on that sick shit. Like he doesn't care about these people. These people are not humans to him. They are just objects for him to get off. Jesus Christ. So that's Ted Bundy. He then ends his killing spree by, you know, a couple of days later, capturing a 12-year-old girl, raping her for a couple of days, and then slitting her throat. So, Chana, your turn. <laughs> then three days after that, around 1 o'clock in the morning, he was stopped by police officer David Lee near the Alabama state line after a wants and warrants check showed that the vehicle Ted Bundy was driving at the time, which was a Volkswagen Beetle, which I thought was interesting, he loves VW Beetles. Mm-hmm. Um, the cop checked the the vehicle and he noticed it was stolen. So he pulled over Bundy, not realizing it was Bundy himself. Now, when he, the officer who was David Lee, told Bundy that he was under arrest, Bundy kicked Lee's legs from out out from under him and took off running. Lee fired a warning shot, followed by a second round, and then he chased Bundy. They fought each other on the floor. He tackled him, but eventually Damn. he was able to arrest Ted Bundy and like, lock him down. Um, so after he locked down Bundy, um, Bundy was just chilling near his stolen car. Lee went through Bundy's car and he kn- and he found three sets of IDs belonging to females at the Florida State Ooh. University, twenty one stolen credit cards, a stolen television set, a pair of dark rimmed non prescription sunglasses, and a pair of plaid slacks that was worn by him when he originally abducted the 12-year-old girl right before he raped her. Now, as Lee transported his suspect to jail, unaware that he had just arrested one of the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives because he did escape Colorado jails, um, he heard Bundy say, I wish you had killed me. Ooh, can I can I jump in? Yeah, jump in. Okay, so when you say that he said that quote, it reminds me of something else that happened on the Chi Omega night or the Chi Omega night. Sorry, um, there was a like a testimony from a girl that night that was walking home from the club that was right next to them, and there's a literal. This is like a real thing that happened. She said that a disheveled, greasy-looking man uh, was just like looking around the area, and when she passed by him, he asked hey, do you live here? And she goes, no, I'm just passing by. And he goes, you're lucky. <gasps> mm-hmm. Isn't that just fucking messed up? That's fucking messed you're up. You're lucky? She, he literally looks at her and goes, you're lucky. I have a hundred questions. Why? Why no didn't he go after her? Why would you not run to the police? <laughs> you're lucky? He literally goes, well, then you're lucky. Oh, my God. What I would give to be inside Ted Bunny's mind for a second during mm-hmm. this night. Yeah, like, why would you say that? And, like, why Kai Omega? Why was he so fixated on that? Why not the girl that just passed him then? Yeah. And there's even two women at the bar that night that report seeing him. And they do the whole good thing where they can just see his dark, beady eyes that are just, like, lifeless. And you can just – they, like, literally note that he was, like – not a human being there so Ew. he's like on the verge of starting his murder spree because they could just like they said they were both scared that he was going to come and ask them to dance like ugh, he's just freaking out Ew. yeah sorry so yeah go my bad okay so bundy was arrested they figured out he was bundy so they're like oh hey um you're under arrest for the kai omega murders <laughs> 
BT Dubs, you're a fucking serial by, killer. By the way. <laughs> if you didn't know yet. You're under arrest. So <laughs> now we are fat, we are just moving forward to the trials because there was a lot of information here. I need to try to get across to y'all, and I'm yes. still drunk. So here we go. <laughs> so Bundy stood trial for the Kyomega homicides and assaults in June of 1979. What's up? My mom was four years old, and this was oh, going cute. on. Oh, cute. Now, the trial was covered by 250 reporters from five continents. Jesus. And was the first trial ever to be televised nationally in the United States. Damn. So this is the first of its kind. Nothing was ever seen like the Bundy trial. Now, Michael Minerva, he was assigned to Bundy's public de- – he was Bundy's public defender in May of 1979. Um, he felt that the main issue Bundy had with this case – was that it was so public, and at this point he was so infamous that it was impossible to have a fair trial where he was innocent before being proven guilty. Mm-hmm. It was more like guilty being proven more guilty or guilty maybe being proven innocent. But at this point, they're like, Bundy, responsible for Washington murders, responsible for Idaho, Utah, Colorado, this. Could he be responsible for Florida murders? So it was hard for them to even get a jury together that would be unbiased, that would even be a fair trial. Um, So, for example, going off of this, Bundy couldn't really do anything in court without the media going into a complete frenzy. For example, if he was really angry, like if he reacted to something emotionally and he had like a irritated or frustrated response, they would be like, well, look how easily he can switch to a violent rage. Or if he was content they'd be like oh look he shows no remorse or if he was happy they're like look he's mocking you so like every human emotion that he would have during the trial they would pin that they would try to connect yeah, that to just him being it guilty in their advantage yeah. yeah exactly so there was no winning pretty much now the most important thing to minerva was to save bundy's life because he realized that he probably wasn't going to be able to win the trial so he was like yo prosecutors let's let's talk about a plea bargain here because i'm not gonna fucking win um now originally bundy told minerva that he wanted him to negotiate the plea bargain to help him get out of the death penalty because at this point both bundy and minerva realized if bundy is found guilty he will have the death penalty so they were just trying to figure out ways to get out of the death penalty and that's what the plea bargain was supposed to be about was getting out of the death penalty now, the prosecutors, their case against Bundy was largely circumstantial. They only had a few pieces of physical evidence. It was mainly circumstantial. Like, yeah, this witness saw Bundy here. Or, yeah, they probably saw Bundy here. So they felt like they didn't have a strong enough case. So they agreed to the plea bargain negotiation. They're like, yeah, we okay. probably won't well. win either. So it's kind of interesting seeing that both sides weren't really confident with their case. So that's why they both were so eager and willing yeah. To accept the plea because they're both pretty nervous because Ted Bundy's case was like we're fucked while the prosecutors were like we're <laughs> fucked, but like you no know, yeah they in the in the documentary too on Netflix they sort of they they tap into that too and you're sitting there like what the fuck you have like an exact dental record of the bite mark on that girl's left butt cheek like what the fuck yeah we'll like get, how do you not think you have evidence we'll get that we'll get into that in a second. So they negotiated the plea and they landed on if Bundy said he was guilty for the two murders, he would get 75 years in prison without the death penalty. So that's like a pretty solid plea bargain. And all Bundy would have to do is go up into court on the first trial day and be like, yo, I'm guilty. And boom, he's good to go. So now it's June 1979. Um, So this is about a month later and this is the first day in court. And the courtroom was completely packed, whether it was filled with 
family members of Bundy or news people or spectators. It was full, like 100%. And this was the court day where Bundy was supposed to say, yeah, I'm guilty. I'm going to accept the plea. And both defense and the prosecuting teams, they both entered the court thinking that Bundy was going to make the plea. He was going to agree to it and be like, I'm guilty. I'm taking the 75 years. We're going to end it there. It was supposed to be, you know, a five-minute trial opposed to a couple-month-long trial. Um, Now, Bundy, right at the beginning of court, he got up in front of the court and he said, in quotes, In my position, that my counsel, one, believes that I am guilty, two, that they have told me that they see no reason at presenting effective defense and on no uncertain terms that they have told me that, and three, that they say no way of avoiding conviction. Your Honor, if that does not raise itself to the level of ineffectiveness of counsel, I don't know what does. Then he proceeded to turn down the de- the plea, pleading not guilty. Damn. Um, Minerva, his defense alo- his defense attorney, was like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> he was like so blindsided and so upset at Bundy that one, Bundy didn't take the plea, but two, Bundy pretty much fucked him over in court. He was saying, my defense team is completely pointless. They're not against, they're against me. They're saying I can't win. They're not helping me at all. Fuck them. Um, so Minerva actually tried to get off the case. However, the judge wouldn't let Minerva get off the case because he didn't want the case to be delayed anymore because he had such intense pressure from the media and from public. He didn't want to push us off another three months so Bundy could get another lawyer. Um, so he forced Minerva to stay on the case. Um, so then Minerva, in response, he decided just to limit his involvement. So he was like, I'm going to be involved 10% compared to the 90% that would be usually required of me. Pretty much the bare minimum effort that he had to provide for 10 Bundy's counsel, he provided so he could still be okay by the courts, but without actually giving a fuck about Ted Bundy. Yeah. Um, also, um, the judge decided that Bundy would take control of his own defense and that he would kind of become his own attorney in a sense. Now, Bundy was pretty... <laughs> He's like, watch this bitch, like, fucking fuck up. Yeah, exactly, because this starts getting more into the manipulative and the controlling nature of Bundy because he was fucking ecstatic to become his own lawyer because, one, he always thought he was smarter than everybody. He, you know, he yeah, went he, to he law school. he lose, yeah. Yeah, he went to law school for a year or two, therefore he's smarter than all the other lawyers. He was arrogant. You know, he was a cocky motherfucker I wrote here he was a cocky bitch. He thought he knew more than every other lawyer that existed. He was – he wanted the control. He wanted the – he had the possessive streak. He wanted to be in charge of manipulating everyone the way that he thought he could. And Bundy, you know, he knew these – the murder scenes. He knew the evidence. He knew everything inside and out. He was fairly confident that he could beat the system with his knowledge of being a lawyer and also his mur- his knowledge of the murders because he was the murderer. So his whole goal was to become his own defense so he could manipulate the whole system, beat the whole system. <sighs> I get so amped when I'm talking about this. Like, ah! So Ted Bundy being Ted Bundy, now he is, he is in complete control of his own case. He is now in the position he's always wanted to be in. And according to one of the lawyers that was on his side, Pauline Nelson, um, he said in quotes that Bundy sabotaged the entire defense effort out of spite, distrust, and a grandest delusion. Ted was facing murder charges with the possible death sentence, and all that mattered to him, apparently, was that he was in charge. So Damn. his defense team was now realizing, like, no matter what we do, it's about Ted. Like, we're losing. Yeah, he just wants to feel on top. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's going to do whatever he can to get the last word. And, like, whether that will hurt him or not, he doesn't care. He wants to say the last word. 
So now, a month later, we're in July of 1979, the trial officially began. Now, Bundy, since he was his own lawyer and he was fucking loving the spotlight, he was eating it up. Um, He somehow really believed that he was going to beat the system. He really thought that he was smarter than everybody. And because he had that inside knowledge to these to these murders because he committed them he thought he was going to be able to outsmart everybody pretty much and and tear about people tear apart people's testimonies and evidence because he really knows what happened here some examples of his behavior during this is you know you would see him talking and laughing with reporters he presented himself with confidence and arrogance and this is ted bundy that we're talking about so everything that you know about ted bundy this was him during the trials cracking a few jokes you know flirting with the camera winking at the reporters making everybody laugh and fall in love with him because that was his whole that was his whole angle was becoming the likable the lovable how could he do it look at him he's handsome he's charismatic he has a bright future ahead of him can't be him they're railroading him they're framing him it's ted bundy it can't be him so judge cowart he presided the trial he presided the trial Uh, minerva so the same defense attorney we talked about earlier the public defender we talked about earlier who was like, fuck Ted Bundy, I'm going to sit back and watch this play out pretty much. Um, He decided not to go to Miami because the trial was moved from Tallahassee to Miami because of the amount of people that pretty much wanted to be there and the amount of publicity he was getting. They had to move to a bigger courthouse. So they moved to Miami. Minerva was like, yo, I'm not going. Hey, Margaret Good, can you go ahead and join the defense team so you can go with Bundy to Miami. And Margaret Good, she was like, yeah, sure, I'm totally going to do it. <laughs> She's like, fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so the defense team, they took p- the position that Ted was incompetent and didn't understand the evidence again- against him. So they then had a competency hearing because pretty much the basic principle of law is if someone can't really understand the charges or the evidence being presented against them, it's not a fair trial. Mm-hmm. Now, the judge ruled that Bu- that Bundy was competent, obviously, um, and that Bundy was in charge of his defense team still. So he was pretty Damn. much like, fuck you, defense team. You're just trying to delay this and just trying to let him get off free. Bundy can handle this. Now, Bundy's behavior during the trial was interesting. <laughs> now, his defense team, they had a really hard time grounding him and making him not say weird shit because he was very sporadic like he would he was go through these highs and these lows later you would find out that he did suffer from like being manic depressive yeah and so he it was very apparent during these yeah and he's like totally lost it by now especially since like his first arrest yeah and first time in jail like ted bundy's totally gone and like side note even if you just look at the crime scenes themselves of the actual murders you can see how he slowly loses it like every single crime scene he gets a little bit a little More bit crazier sloppy. yeah a little bit sloppier because his first you know 20 crime scenes he didn't leave a single piece of evidence but toward the last crime scene with the 12 year old i'm gonna go through in a few minutes there is just a fuckload of evidence like he can he's losing it he's losing the bundiness he's yeah. losing how he was smarter than everybody and so what does he do he overcompensates and he pretends he's the smartest person in the whole world yep. and he ends up hurting himself Anyways, so continuing off of this, his defense had a really hard time making him not say the weirdest fucking shit <laughs> in the, the world. The hardest job in the fucking world. Here are some examples. So during the trial, Bundy asked randomly out of nowhere if the judge could f- make sure that he had more outdoor time in jail so he could exercise a little bit more. He also asked that the judge made it so Ted Bundy could have 
a longer access period to the jail library. He also asked for a typewriter, specifically, like, hey, can I have a typewriter? Um, While I wrote, he even tried asking if the judge could make the menu and jail different because he was sick and tired of grilled cheese sandwiches every single day. <laughs> While what, you know, he just was constantly and this that's just to show you the behavior they're at a murder trial in the middle the middle of a murder trial and out of nowhere bunny's like hey judge can you make it so the jail no longer serves grilled cheese sandwiches because i'm he's sick like, of what? grilled cheese sandwiches like he's so fucking disconnected and he's so from his charges like he doesn't understand the gravity of the situation here like he is on trial for murder of two women with the death penalty up and he is talking about grilled cheese sandwiches like he's clearly so fucking disconnected from the situation that he's talking about grilled cheese sandwiches this Uh, is not a time for grilled cheese sandwiches god damn it Simone's like fuck yeah she's like grilled cheese sandwiches Bundy was also known to make people laugh like I mentioned earlier he had witty banter with the judge um you know he completely manipulated as many people as he could around him he had witty banter even with the prosecutors he was a likable guy. He was and like the, a politician. Isn't the judge even a little bit like the judge from The Simpsons where he's like, boys will be boys. Yeah, I'll read that quote Yeah, later. oh my God. Like, God damn it. Uh, Bundy, he was always deferring and deflecting. He loved moving the focus off of the trial to himself instead of the victims. So if things started focusing too much on the victims, he would flip it, turn it to himself. Or he'd be like, but my girl, she's sandwiches, shit like that. He was an arrogant asshole who loved the spotlight, and he would do anything to get people talking about him. Now, during the, tr- the trial, the courtroom was filled with journalists, family, and spectators, and the majority of the spectators were young women. Women even tried to slip him notes during the trial, being like, Ted Bundy, you're so hot. You can rape me, Ted Bundy, uh, shit like that. And some of them even de- defended him purely because of his looks and his charisma and his <laughs> beautiful personality. There's a lot of interviews of those young women speaking to journalists and other news outlets, and they're like, I just don't see how we could kill someone when he looks like that. It's it's like no. it's outrageous. Yet they're sitting here listening to the the evidence, and they're like, but he's so handsome. And look, he just made the judge Like, laugh. I just don't believe it because he's so cute. Yeah, and he, like, became friends with the audience. He like But, is- like, really, if, like, one day everybody was like, Bradley Cooper raped and killed 20 people, I'd be like, no, he didn't. That's how I was. Yeah, I get it. Um, So one woman in particular, uh, she was, um, I talked about her in part one, Carol Ann Boone. She was a longtime friend of Bundy. My autocorrect, I just realized, changed Bundy to Buddy this whole time. (laughs) So every single thing says Ted Buddy. Ted Buddy. Not Ted Buddy. But Carol Ann Boone, she was a longtime friend of him. They became friends back in the Washington days. They dated on and off. Yeah. Um, I mentioned her in part one. She's going to be a, com- a separate case file, like, completely. Mm-hmm. Um, she genuinely believed that he was innocent, and she actually resurfaced in his life during his Florida trial because she really thought he was innocent and that they were just railroading him and forcing a conviction on an innocent man. They, they actually were so have desperate. some sort of contact and reconnection also, when he leaves Colorado the first time. Oh, really? Yeah, or the second time, sorry. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, so during this time, Bundy and Carol Ann Boone, they actually started dating again, and they quickly fell in love. Well, as much as Bundy could love. Carol fell in love with Bundy. True. Bundy Manipulated Bundy and used, did. yeah. Yeah, manipulated and used Carol for his own personal gain. 
Um, other notable people who were there for his trial was his mother and his siblings. Oh. Um, his mother was actually seen in multiple interviews defending Ted Bundy because she was in complete dis- complete disbelief. Because, of course, she's the mother of him. Like, if yeah. I was the mother and someone told me my child did this, of course you're going to be in disbelief. It's you your can't. loving, wonderful son. Yeah, you son. can't. Yeah. Like, you're, it's just motherly instincts. Like, you, of course. Like it's uh, it's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking so watching her react because you can just see in her eyes just the sorrow and like seeing her son go through that. And you can see she really believes that he's innocent. Yeah. Like it's her son. Like she gave birth to him. And also it's scary because if I was the mother, of course you'd believe it because the minute you stop believing that he's innocent, that's the minute you realize that you're capable of giving birth to that. Yep. And that's a terrifying thought. So now we're going to talk about some of the witnesses and the evidence to the trial. So the first, one of the biggest or most important witnesses that I'm going to talk about is Officer Ray Crew. Crew was one of the first officers um, at the murder scene of the Kyle Mega House, and his whole testimony, according to the prosecutors, his entire has- testimony was just supposed to set the scene. That was it, because they had other people they're going to call, like the Newark guy that Corey mm-hmm. talked about earlier, and other witnesses and whatnot they're going to call later that was going to give a little bit more detail so the whole purpose of crew was just to set the scene be like yeah i rolled up on this date this is what i saw the end very simple straightforward um however that quickly changed when bundy decided to cross-examine the witness because bundy was his own defense which is crazy because bundy wasn't even a real lawyer and here they are letting him cross-examine a fucking witness but whatever we're moving on bundy he pushed the officer to expose graphic and gruesome details of the crime scene he bundy wanted to relive the crime scene in a sense with the officer and with the everybody and the five continents watching the trial through television um he wanted everybody to hear what he did he was loving every second of it he was forcing everyone to hear and think about what he did he was asking just for more and more detail like okay like how did you walk into a room Okay, now how are her arms positioned? Okay, now how did you find her legs? Okay, where did, where did you find the blood? Okay, what did her labia look like? Okay, what did her hair look like? Like just asking, pressing and pressing and it, it's graphic and yeah. it's insane. Bundy later on said, when talking in third person, of course, because that's how he was able to really initially start admitting to things, um, that it is reasonable, reasonable to believe that if someone gets gratification from the act itself – that they will dwell on it later and get another form of gratification. So this was another way of him getting off of because mm. we talked about in part one how he would often re he would go and visit the uh, dead bodies, the bodies of the victims, and then continuously rape them. Well, he couldn't go victim he couldn't go visit these crime scenes. So instead, what this did is he the do? Second best thing. Yeah. He had those those oh, crime thing. scenes pictured in front of the entire audience. Now, the courtroom was obviously uncomfortable, and it obviously did not help Ted's defense because now everyone's like, what the fuck? Like, it was so obvious what was happening that it was just so unnerving. (laughs) Entire courtroom, Pikachu face. Yeah, exactly. Bundy, however, was ecstatic with how it went. He was happy. He was laughing. He was completely satisfied with himself, and he felt that nothing was out of the ordinary. Nothing was wrong. He was gratified again, so he was like a new guy. Like, here we go. Let's go continue the trial. 
Another witness was the sorority sister. Was both were a couple sorority sisters. One of the ones is what Corey talked about, how she walked in and she saw him leaving. Mm. If she was there for like a minute sooner, she would have died. So mm-hmm. go her for making out with her boyfriend. Yeah, girl, um, I'll get it. So this is the actual witness I'm talking about. She gave a really compelling testimony during the trial. Uh, but one of Bundy's lawyers, his name is Robert Haggard, he was able to cross-examine her and pretty much tear apart her testimony because she what? didn't really – like she could explain the general silhouette of Ted Bundy, but how can you prove it's Ted Bundy? Like there's a lot of men true, that just true. like him. Uh, how, how it's just circumstantial. Legally, how could you legally – That's the whole thing. It's yeah. just circumstantial evidence. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, he has a, a nose that looks like Ted Bundy's. Yeah. Well, look around the courtroom. There's three people right here that have his, has his yeah, similar nose. That also have brown hair or whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So he was able to tear apart, tear apart her testimony. Um, it was probably one of the most successful moments of their case as a defense team, and it was a really high Ooh. note. But then Ted Bundy, pretty much right after, he got up and he was like, hey, judge, I actually have something to say. <laughs> um, and he started, Everyone rolls their eyes. Yeah, he started talking shit about his lawyers. Mm. Um, and... It was so like intense that Robert Haggard, who just led the most successful part of their entire case, got up and just left the courtroom because he was so irate. This should kind of show you how much Ted Bundy, one, hated attention off of himself because everyone was giving praise to Haggard. Two, he hated that someone else was being a better lawyer than him, that knew his case better than him, that was able to outsmart a witness better than him. And three, he didn't really understand what the fuck was going on in court because he felt like it was okay for him to get up and talk shit about his defense. He didn't realize the negative consequences of that, that him talking shit about his own defense, it just hurt his entire case. It just made everything that Haggard But he didn't give a shit. He wants to look good. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like everything that Haggard just did just went out the window because Ted Bundy is just big scene. The last piece of evidence I'm going to talk about is the bite marks. So the biggest piece of evidence against Ted Bunny, because everything else was circumstantial, the only piece of physical evidence, the real piece of physical evidence, were the bite marks left on Lisa Levy's left buttock, her left butt cheek, Mm -hmm. um, which forensic odontologist. (laughs) Odontologist, yeah. Odontologist. (laughs) Odontologist. um, (laughs) His name was Richard Suvi. Goddamn. S-O-U-V-I-R-O-N. Suviron? Fuck words. Suviron. <laughs> he has a difficult last name. Yeah. Richard, he and Lau Levine matched the the mark to a cast they made of Ted Bundy's teeth. Mm-hmm. Ted Bundy's teeth were like notoriously crooked, like some of his teeth were. And they were like, hey, if you notice, teeth number six is crooked. T- tooth number six on this bite mark was also crooked. It's Ted Bundy. Now, this is the first time something like this was ever used in court, period. So Damn. this is actually a pretty big historical moment yeah. in terms of criminal defense, in terms of this type of court Yeah, case. like dental records, yeah. Um, now, it was obvious to Bundy and his team that this was a turning point for the case because it suddenly went from circumstantial evidence to physical. And at this point, Bundy's demeanor completely changed. He went from the confident, cocky motherfucker, calm, cool, and collected, to the nervous, frustrated, neurotic, crazy motherfucker where he was that would be amazing and disturbing to watch that yeah like he flipped he went from blue-eyed bundy to black-eyed bundy and like black-eyed children his defense team tried to say like well just because he has crooked teeth how can he match it to this to the bite mark they tried their best but it was pretty damning and it was pretty much the end of the case 
Now, on July 24, 1979, both sides of the Bundy case made their final remarks to the jury. Bundy was still fairly confident that he was going to walk away from this, even though the bite evidence was still there. He was like, that's the only physical. I think I'm pretty good. Like, we, we did a good job fighting all of the witnesses, even though he, like, single-handedly destroyed everything that his defense team did. Um, <laughs> the jury went went off to their jury room to discuss what the fuck just happened, pretty much. <laughs> and after only seven hours, about seven hours, it was, okay. like, six to seven hours, the jury returned, which is a very short time, mm-hmm. very short time. And they for found a case like this, definitely, yeah. Ted Bundy guilty for both sorority murders. Damn. Now, when the verdict was read, Bundy's reaction completely changed. He wasn't a confident asshole who thought that he was smarter than everybody. He was shocked, sad, and cold. He genuinely was surprised that he was found guilty. Sure. And he tried to act, he tried to play up the whole, like, what? But I'm innocent act. Now, the judge said, and I'm going to read his entire verdict, the entire quote. Yeah. The court finds that both of these killings were indeed heinous, 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 atrocious and cruel, and that they were extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. And the product of a design. And they were extremely wicked, (laughs) shockingly evil and vile. Zach Efron. (laughs) Um, And the product of a design to inflict a high degree of pain and utter indifference to human life. This court, independent of, but in, but in agreement with the advisory sentence rendered by the jury, does hereby impose the death penalty upon the defendant, Theodore Robert Bundy. It is further ordered that on such scheduled date that you'll be put to death by a current of electricity sufficient to cause your immediate death, and such current of electricity shall continue to pass through your body until you are dead. Until you are dead. After a second, the judge paused and said, Take care of yourself, young man. I say that to you sincerely. Take care of yourself. It is an utter tragedy for this court to see such a total waste of humanity, I, th- I think, as I've experienced in this courtroom. You're a bright young man. You've made a good lawyer, and I would have loved to have you practice in front of me. But you went another way, partner. I don't feel animosity towards you. I want you to know that. Take care of yourself. I am so conflicted about my feelings on that last And that's not a boys will be boys statement. Yeah. But that should also show you the degree and how powerful of a, man, of a manipulator Ted Bundy was yeah, because he was able to wrap the judge around his finger where like clearly the judge just like maybe he did agree with the sentencing, but he thought Ted Bundy was a good guy overall. Yo, or, yeah. And then you could take the other way where he was just like, like, yes, you like, been a good he guy. did see like that manipulation and the charm that came from him just made him realize I do like what cause I say conflicted because I don't agree with the whole like, you know, feelings that he brings up in himself, the judge, but the, he does mention like the total waste of humanity Yeah, where you can, you could say that about any of these people where it's like, Oh, like you can say it about your, you know, we can look in the mirror and say that about ourselves where it's like oh, our shortcomings. It's like, God damn it. We waste so much potential that we have. Yeah. And the judge just like saw that in Ted Bundy and then saw literally a human being that could flare the charm and show what he could be but at the same time also do the exact opposite of what a human should do yeah so it's just like an interesting and poignant quote but at the same time tinted with that boys will be boys yeah exactly like Like, what a shame ted bundy like you could have been a great lawyer but said he chose to murder yeah shucks well i guess you're gonna get killed now sorry (laughs) like yeah yeah it's there obviously the judge has received a lot of heat and like there's a lot of 
as many articles as you could possibly imagine in different points of view sure, just based yeah. solely off of that quote mm-hmm. because that quote in itself made people realize or made people say like oh the judge didn't care about the victims and that there's so many ways you can interpret that quote but yeah like how i interpret it is that you know he he pretty much told ted bundy like you could have went two different ways in your life you could have been a good lawyer you could have been everything that you think you could have been you you could have been you had the possibility but instead you chose to be this ruthless serial killer destroy life yeah like you destroyed life therefore we're destroying your life but again yeah like as you said before too like when he says the waste of humanity, he's refer- referring to Bundy when the obvious choice is to refer to these 30 plus women. That's that's the whole big argument is yeah. because like he's like, what a shame, Ted Bundy. But what a shame about those 30 women, because though maybe three of those women could have became the best next lawyer. Yeah. Maybe one of those women become, beca- could have become one of the a president. He's not thinking about maybe that. Maybe one could be a teacher. That's the yeah. whole thing. Like the, yeah. he's completely disregarding the 30 lies that ted bunny took but of course during this specific trial they're just talking about i mean two it lies. is about him it's his trial so but you know, but yeah. no it's also about the two victims true 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 and yeah. that's and that's where it goes wrong is like in that entire verdict they don't even speak about the victims it's all about bunny bunny yeah okay now let's fast forward six months to a second trial that took place in orlando this is the trial for the abduction orlando. and murder of kimberly leach sorry <laughs> Kimberly Leach was a 12-year-old that Corey talked about that got kidnapped, raped multiple times, killed, and her body was thrown in the hog's den or whatever. Um, This trial was pretty easy and straightforward. They had an eyewitness. They had – that Corey talked about, the eyewitness. They had um, a blood stain that was found in Ted Bundy's stolen car that matched the blood type of um, Kimberly Leach's blood. They found her clothing fibers were found in the carpets of the car. Her hair was found in the car. They had his shoe tracks in the mud that matched his shoes exactly. The list goes on. They had evidence Damn. after evidence after evidence, which is very different from the majority of Ted Bundy cases. So this is kind of show you how at this point it was so animalistic and it was so like, where's my next victim? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And this is only a few days. After he's like Kai. so out of control. He just can't yeah, do it anymore. He just can't control yeah. anything anymore. He's completely off the rails. Bundy defended himself again, obviously, because he was a cocky motherfucker and it did not go well at all. Um, He displayed the same Bundy arrogance, the cockiness, the fuckery of Ted Bundy, but it was somehow even more intense since the last trial. He was more, he was even more neurotic. He was even, you know, he was switching every single piece of evidence to go back to him, how folks on him. He even went to the point where he had an impromptu wedding with Carol Ann Boone in the middle of the trial where he, Carol Ann Boone was on the witness stand. Bundy was questioning her. And then out of nowhere, he's like, would you marry me? And if I believe correctly, you can literally watch a video of this. You right? can, yeah. yeah. And yeah. he said, "Will you marry me, Caroline Boone?" She said, "Yes, I, I would." And he's like, "Would I marry you?" She said, "Yes." And he's like, "I, I would marry you. I really would." And then he has the judge fucking marry them in the it. middle of a murder trial of a twelve-year-old girl. Like ignoring the twelve-year-old girl. Like it's all about Bundy, and he did this because how? Because he thought, how could the judge? Give me the death penalty to a married man, to someone who just got married to profess his love in front of the jury. He was doing this to completely manipulate the jury and manipulate Carol because he knew she wanted marriage. So what did he give her? Marriage because that's how she would stay around with him. Mm-hmm. I'm getting heated. Um, he also compared himself to Jesus at one point. He held his hands up like Jesus on the cross and he was comparing himself to Jesus, to the jury. God that damn. did not go well. 
It's obviously showing signs of how desperate Bundy was. He was grasping at straws here. He was trying anything and everything. Anything to get any sympathy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it did not take long for the jury to find him guilty and sentenced him to another death Fuck sentence. Yeah. So Bundy was sentenced to death in 1979. It took about 10 years for him to actually die. So now we're going to talk about what happened during those 10 years. Um, so Bundy initiated a series of interviews with Stephen Michaud and Hugh Ainsworth, speaking mostly in third person to avoid the stigma of confession. He began for the first time to divulge details of his crimes and thought processes. So this is the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix, the newest Netflix documentary. Mm-hmm. Go watch it. Good. There are multiple documentaries based off of these confessions and these tapes, but the one you'll most be familiar with is the Ted Bundy tapes. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of research from that, also from other documentaries featuring these tapes. My research are from, the, from those documentaries as well. Um, now, he recounted his career as a thief. The big payoff for me, which Corey talked about that earlier, is when he was a kid, he would really like being a mm-hmm. thief and shit. Um, he said, in quotes, the big payoff for me was actually possessing whatever it was I had stolen. I really enjoyed having something that I had wanted and gone out and taken. Now, possession proved to be an, appoint- an important motive for rape and murder as well. You know, sexual assault, he said, fulfilled his need to totally possess his victims. You know, at first, he started killing his victims because it was a way to get rid of evidence because he would rape a girl. And then he's like, OK, now what? Like, she's just going to go to the police and be like, he did it. He's like, how do I get rid of this? Like the biggest piece of evidence, a killer. So that's how the murder started. But then it became part of the adventure. The ultimate possession was, in fact, the taking of a life, he said, and then the physical possession of the remains. And so the murders and the rapes, it was all about possession and the manipulative and the control and the Ted Bundy desires of just having and keeping and holding on to it was fucking sick everybody moving on to his years in death row (laughs) special agent william hagmeyer of the fbi behavioral analysis unit started a program where they interview serial killers serial rapists serial kidnappers etc just the bad motherfucking criminals they're interviewing all these people to try to find out ways to prevent and solve crimes that is how hagmeyer and ted bundy came into contact um, they they ended up spending over 200 hours with each other discussing Bundy's crimes, you know, in the third person, of course. And Bundy pretty much was able to help the FBI and future law enforcement learn how to look at the modern-day killer and the modern-day criminal. Bundy and Carol, who I talked about earlier today, they continued their relationship. Um, Bundy started getting into the devil's lettuce, a.k.a. marijuana, while he was on hey. de- the death row. And he started drinking a bunch. And Carol actually helped him by smuggling drugs into prison in her vagina. What's up? Give him the drugs. He would then shove it up his asshole and, and smuggle it into his cell and then do the devil's lettuce, marijuana. <laughs> that poor weed's like, no. Yeah, they're like, I'm so wet. Ah, this is gross. <laughs> poor drugs. Yeah, right. Um, Carol and Bundy, they also um, had sex, which is crazy. They just bribed guards, most yeah, likely. Guards were just, it's yeah. like a complete mystery how they did it. Carol ended up getting pregnant with Bundy's daughter, and she gave birth to Rosa. 
any information on Rosa to this day is unfucking known. Which is good. Good for you, Rosa. Which is how it should stay. If I was Rosa, they're like, who's your dad? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'd be like, what are fathers? But yeah, Carol and Bundy, and Carol had like a stepson. He's like a teenager. You know, they built a happy little family while Bundy is on death row. Mm-hmm. This entire time, Carol really still believed that Bundy was innocent. There's some intense pics. Like, this son looks happy. She looks happy. Bundy looks happy. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. a grand old time. Family yeah. home evening and, and prison. Um, now, during this entire time on death row, you know, he was getting there were articles and books written about him. Interview after interview, every person everywhere was giving Ted Bundy all the attention he's ever wanted. This spanned over, you know, years. He was loving it. He was loving the attention. He would say whatever it took to get people to come back, to get people to say, like, what's he going to say next? What's he going to tell us next? Is he going to confess? Is he not going to confess? Because, you know, for example, he would be like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of time I did something. I'll tell you about that next week. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, oh my God, what's he talking about? It was like a stay tuned TV yeah, episode. totally. It was like a cliffhanger teaser motherfucker. Now let's fast forward to 1986. So this is around March 4th of 1986. Um, that was the first set execution date for the Chi Omega murders. Now the Supreme Court, they issued a brief stay, but the execution was quickly, quickly rescheduled. Um, now in April... The new execution date was released. It was July 2nd. Um, and that's when Bundy was like, okay, I'm going to start confessing. Damn. It's been years and years and years. Now, less than 15 hours before the scheduled July 2nd execution, after Bundy's defense argued that the Chi Omega case needed to be reviewed because Bundy was incompetent to be his own defense because he wasn't a fucking lawyer, mm-hmm. the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals ordered that Bundy um, had to go through a mental evaluation, and they ended up postponing his execution again. Damn. Uh, now, the mental evaluation revealed that Bundy was manic-depressive, but ultimately was fit to stand trial and was competent during the Chi Omega trial. Even though he wasn't a lawyer, he perfectly knew what was, the fuck was going on, pretty much. Now, after a couple more appeals, there's like a million appeals. I could have talked for like an hour about the appeals. Oh, shit. Yeah, They're fuck. boring, to be honest. Yeah, it's just it just like, gets repetitive. Yeah, it's yeah. like the defense team said this, and then they said this, and they said this. But all you really need to know is he just kept on put. His whole entire goal was to push off the death sentence as long as possible, pretty much. Just stay alive and bask in his yeah, murders. Exactly, and just like enjoy the ride. Now, after a couple more appeals, a firm execution date of January 24th, 1989 was announced. Now, Bundy's journey through the appeals court had been unusually rapid for a capital murder case um it said in quotes contrary to popular belief the courts moved bundy as fast as they could even though the prosecutors or even the prosecutors acknowledged that bundy's lawyers never employed delaying tactics personally i don't believe that um though people everywhere see that the apparent delay in the executing uh ted bundy was actually on the fast track so according to the courts they were like no this is going surprisingly fast for the death penalty everyone's just so desperate for him to die but like courts do move really slow that was like the argument for how long it was taking but in my opinion his defense team was doing everything they could to prolong it to try to figure out different ways to get the death sure or and then you probably have like people in the fbi like the criminal district being like no we need information from him trying to keep him alive behind the scenes etc etc well the fbi anything like his bf his fbi bff guy the special agent Mm -hmm. hogmeyer or whatever he actually um, responded to a claim like that. 
because uh, Ted Bundy actually like asked him directly, like, "Hey, like, if I had to tell you, like, if I told you I had ten more conventions to make, and I, yeah, I was scheduled to die tomorrow, would you still kill me?" And he said, "Yes, I would still kill you." Yes, okay. Because yeah. like the victims' families pretty much agreed, like whether or not we have his confession we pretty much know is bundy like go ahead and kill him but of course that's what they're saying to the public back doors exactly yeah Who knows what they're like, that's the official statement and that just goes in this conspiracy theories which is and if like the I'm not gonna you know u.s government can benefit from something they're gonna fucking get it um so <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast i'm not even going to touch upon conspiracy <laughs> theories that's not my jam <laughs> so with all the appeals exhausted and no further motivation to deny his crimes bundy agreed to spring to speak frankly with investigators bundy was like fine fuck it i will really tell you what happened it's been 10 years of me sitting in this goddamn cell smoking weed with my weird wife's vagina weed like fine (laughs) vagina butthole weed i will tell you (laughs) he ended up admitting to around 30 murders damn there is a lot of detail into these murders it goes from severed heads it goes to rape it goes to necrophilia this is actually the first time that bundy mentioned necrophilia and this is when it became public was that he would continuously rape the the victims after they were dead the most gruesome and graphic details that you do know about ted buddy now came out pretty much during this time where he was like fuck it fine i'll tell you everything the interesting part about these confessions though is how how many of these details were true is kind of up in the air because he was like, yeah, I buried her body over here. They go to location and the body wasn't there. So it just kind of goes to show with you that, that Ted Bundy was always playing a game with everybody that even though maybe he was being 90% honest, but that 10% of him was still lying. Or maybe I was mentioning this to Jordan earlier. Maybe Ted Bundy didn't even really know anymore what was true, what wasn't because he said so many lies. He was caught in, such a complex web of lies yeah. that maybe he did think what he was confessing to at the end was real. And, and like himself and other compartmental compartmentalized parts of him, his psyche are in that web of lies. Yeah, exactly. Like, and these are over, you know, 30, some people speculate over a hundred murders. And so of course you're going to mix the facts from Deborah Hawkins case or sorry, Georgian Hawkins case to, um, to Kimberly Leach's case. <laughs> Sorry, I was like, oh, I can't think There's of it. like so many murder victims. Like he'll probably mix up details. So it's it's just interesting to see where he's at, like towards the end of this, where he's willing to confess. And though people are like, well, maybe some of it's lies. Well, maybe to him they're not lies. I don't know. But he is confessing, which is the first time he's confessed in first person, yeah. which is pretty groundbreaking. Now, Carol, who the entire time thought he was innocent, when he started really confessing, she was betrayed she mm-hmm. said in quotes like i am deeply betrayed by him because the entire time she stuck by him she asked him point blank did you kill these women he said no she had a fucking daughter with him she yep. married him she spent her entire like 10 years with him um and she was in complete shock and disbelief and complete betrayal that he was in fact guilty and he did in fact kill over 30 women killed raped performed necrophilia mutilated over 30 women um, she ended up moving back to Washington with her daughter, and she refused to accept his phone call on the day that he was executed. Damn. So she was the last person he really wanted to talk Fuck to. you. And yeah. she refused it. Go you, girl. Yeah. So now let's fast forward to January 23rd, 1989. On the afternoon before Ted Bundy was executed, he granted an interview to James Dobson, who is a psychologist and founder of the Christian Evan- Evangelical Organization Focus on the Family. 
He used the opportunity to make new claims about porn, making him kill. In quotes, uh. he says, it happens in stages gradually. My experience with pornography that deals on a violent level of sexuality is once you become addicted to it, um, I would keep looking for more potent, more explicit, more graphic kinds of material until you reach a point where the pornography only goes so far, where you begin to wonder if maybe actually doing it would give you that which is beyond just reading it or looking at it. Violence in the media, he said, particularly sexualized violence, sent boys down the road to become Ted Bundy's. This spearheaded the war on porn. This is where it started, where suddenly like everybody was like, porn destroys marriages. Porn makes people violent. Porn kills people. Look porn does this. Porn does that. Was Bundy serious when he said this? No. This was his last chance to manipulate and control the media. This was his last chance to make headlines before his actual death. This was his last chance as a big... To be quoted by people. To be quoted by people. This is his last chance to lie and manipulate. I mean, he even later told Special Agent William, like a few hours later, William Hagmeyer, that he didn't... He never specifically said that porn made him into a killer. He said that porn could turn people into Ted Bundy's. He pretty much thought it was interesting that people... Who, like all the people in death row watched porn because obviously everyone watched porno. <laughs> so he was just saying a broad fact and just saying like, oh yeah, everyone it. watches porn, yeah. but also serial killers watch porn. So everyone's like, oh my God, so porn makes people into serial killers. Correlation and causation. Yeah. And he was like, okay, yeah, we're going to go with it. It was just Ted Bunny's last claim. And I always get so angry whenever, because a lot of people, if they don't research Ted Bundy at all, they always always start with the porn they start thing. with that yeah and it's such a frustrating topic or and it's so frustrating to to, to combine ted bundy with porn because it was like a one interview and it was just him manipulating the media this is what he wants he wants people to believe that because he wants to make an everlasting mark and like to this day 2019 so you know like 30 years later people are still fucking saying that porn makes people into ted bundy's yeah. it's inc- it's crazy it's insane so now, January 24th, 1989, hundreds of people gathered outside of the prison waiting for him to die. Hundreds. It was a fucking tailgate party. Yeah, people, you can watch videos of this. People yeah. had barbecues. People were singing songs. S- selling shirts. People were selling merch. You can go on shirts, eBay and buy those same shirts. Burn, burn, Bundy, burn shirts. There were fireworks. There were barbecues. There were dance battles. You name it, it was there. <laughs> you could hear people singing. They were chanting everything you could even hear it inside of the jail so bundy could hear it or could hear it now at 7 16 a.m eastern standard time on january 24th 1989 42 year old theodore robert bundy was executed by the electric chair the crowds outside cheered loudly as the white hearse containing his his corpse departed the prison and his pod his body and his ashes scattered at an undisclosed location in the Cascade Range of Washington State in accordance with his will. The fucked up part about that is that he wanted his body to become ashes, to be burned in ashes, and to mm-hmm. be scattered in the area where he <gasps> had the best moments of his life. That's also the area where the majority of his victims were buried. Yep. And to this day, like more than half of the victims that he claimed that he buried there are still not found. Uh, so his yeah. ashes are mixing with his fucking victims. Down. So, my last thing, my last spiel of Ted Bundy. You know, Ted Bundy has left a lasting impression on every generation since he became the infamous Ted Bundy. He was a very handsome, 
well-kept, intelligent, funny, well-liked, and confident man. He was a normal guy. He didn't look like a criminal. He didn't talk like a criminal. He didn't act like a criminal, and yet he was a criminal. Ted Bundy abducted, raped, and murdered over 30 women in Washington, California, Idaho, Utah, Colorado, and Florida, and I'm sure more states, but those are the ones where we can confirm deaths. Mm-hmm. He, cha- he changed the games for serial killers, and he challenged law enforcement around the country. He was a manipulative, power-hungry, and arrogant psychopath who craved attention and control, and he even described himself as the most, in quotes, cold-hearted son of a bitch you'll ever meet, and he was. Bundy is romanticized because of his charming personality and daddy looks, but it's important to remember who we're fucking talking about. He took away the lives of 30 women. He showed no remorse. 30 families were destroyed. Hundreds of friendships were and lives were destroyed because of one man. He is extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Yes. Ted Bundy, everybody. Yes, yes, yes. Boom. We're finally done with Ted Bundy. We did it. We're here. So what are your thoughts on Ted Bundy, Corey? Let's talk about this. Um, so, yeah, we were talking about it earlier, but it made me think back to – I can't remember exactly what it was, but it made us made me think back to what I did in the first part about Ted Bundy where his entire psyche sort of crumbles. Oh, it was when you were talking about ownership. Oh, okay. And how he wants the to possession. own stuff and how, yeah. like, I've tapped into his, like, love of stealing and that him taking mementos from people. And you've mentioned the mementos and how the power that he gets from stealing parts of those people or yeah. even raping and, and, you know, stealing And eventually it escalated to murder because it was taking their life, taking control of their life. Yeah. Like and, yeah. and so that sort of, like, struck, uh, uh, struck a tone with me when I thought back to his whole experience of how when we have his first confirmed murder, it happens right after he gets that first big slap in the face of, I can't keep my, you know, uh, the Edwards girl. I can't keep this, you know, beautiful brunette woman who yeah. is like super successful and rich. I can't have her. I got really bad LSAT scores. I can't be, you know, the dream that I've yeah. grown up with, I can't reach. So what and am I going to do? Yeah. yeah. And so it's just him like, you know, he said, uh, to quote him again, he said, it felt like I'd failed and not only myself, but even my teachers and instructors. And then later he says, I think I was coming apart at the seams and maybe she saw it. She's referring to, he's referring to the Edwards girl. Yeah. And he said, I had this overwhelming feeling of rejection that steamed stemmed not just from her, but everything. And then she says that he says that in there somewhere was a desire to have some sort of revenge on Diane. So I think that's like a big, like his, the failures that he had in life that we all have that we just deal with. He just couldn't. So then yeah. everything was ownership of getting that back. Yeah. Of oh, like, totally. I'm deserved these fucking things. So I'm going to go rape you, kill you, then rape your body oh, because I want it. And that's how I'm going to get off because I grew up with all these dreams and expectations. And therefore I need them. And, and therefore I'm I take need them. them. And I de- no, and I need them and I deserve them. And so therefore so I'm, I'm going to take them. Yeah. Like whether that's taking your life or raping you or beating you or cutting off your head. Yeah. This is a way of getting back what I deserve. Yeah. Ooh, and it's just but- such an interesting take because it's like we all deal with those same exact emotions on a very lower level. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, it just shows you like the, how intense the, the mind is. Yeah. Where it's like, you can take the same situation. Like, okay, like a girl that's out of your league breaks up with you and tells you you're a fucking loser. And like a normal human would be like, well, fuck, like fuck her. That sucks. Like I'm going to be sad for a while and maybe either, become not the loser or become the loser she always said I would be. Exactly. And then there's Ted Bundy who's yeah. like, oh, well, fuck you. I'm going to find girls that look like you. 
Yeah. And all of my victims will resemble you and I'm going to kill them and I'm going to rape them. I'm going to rape their dead bodies. I'm going to cop their heads because I deserve you. Yeah. And I wanted you and you're it's the so one. fucking messed up. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just like a whole new level of just fuckery. We deal with all of that in our adult life and a better or you know a better way but sometimes we don't you know adulthood is dealing with that not living up to those expectations yeah. as a child and that he did it but he did it in such a weird fucked up disgusting twisted way yeah <laughs> and yeah i just it's just interesting to see because i'm just like oh it's always interesting to me to be really empathetic and stuff like this and so it's just really interesting and sc- scary but also like very insightful to just see how humanistic like the like the sources of his emotions where they come from yeah like how relatable they are to us on a definitely a base basic level and that's what makes it so scary yeah is because you can relate to certain situations that he went through yeah and it's just the difference is you're not a psycho <laughs> exactly and to me it just attests just how inhuman and human these feelings are that yeah. he had and like his actions even though they are extremely inhuman like a human still did them and it came from like a human source so it like freaks me out and like just intrigues me in such like you know a weird way and that's why i think that ted bundy became as infamous as he became because yeah it made people realize that because they looked at someone and when they look at the someone they see themselves Exactly. They're like, oh, like yeah. a handsome like, person with the future. Yeah. Even the judge said you could have had a great future. Yeah. It, yeah. Like, and that's what's he, so scary. It, like, he tapped Ted Bundy's charm and stuff tapped into something that the judge saw himself in Bundy. Yeah, exactly. It, it Like, even as twisted as we said before, like, that whole boys will be boys, you know, sort of Total, motif yeah. to that is. Like, it still is that, like, even a fucking judge was like, fuck i see something in him yeah exactly but and then that's you go and so talk scary. off like you know of john wayne gacy or i'm blanking on his name jeffrey we already, dahmer yeah jeffrey dahmer it's like holy fuck nobody's like that yeah <laughs> like, like no one those... drills into a live head <laughs> like <laughs> fuck bro <laughs> yeah but he's like it, it, it just ted bundy is just like a weird there's like a weird dichotomy with him yeah, yeah. and that's why ted bundy became ted bundy because everybody can see a part of themselves in Ted Bundy. And that's what's so scary. Yeah. Because it, it was the first time where it made everybody, you know, ranging from continents, not just the United States, realizing like, oh, it could be anybody. Yeah. Like, I could marry Ted Bundy, essentially. Like, I could marry someone that seems like a Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy carried out normal, not necessarily healthy, I don't know, but normal relationships with people. And they had no idea what he was fucking doing. Well, Elizabeth Clover fucking knew. Yeah, but some of the other down. women didn't. <laughs> She's like, he's the Fuck it for like 10 years. Yeah, he's literally. Like, he's a fucking serial but that's killer. Why, Somebody listen to me. <laughs> but that's why Ted Bundy is Ted Bundy. Because. Yeah. No, yeah, because you literally sit there the entire book, like one page being like almost in tears of like, oh my God, I felt that rejection and whatever. And then the next next page, you're like, fuck you, you fucking piece and of shit. And it's like, shit. it's how he handled those emotions and yeah. react and those emotions yeah, and events cool. that we all handled as humans. Yeah. Yeah, it's. And I'm sure there's a, a few other serial killers like this, but like I've read up on some things about Jeffrey Dahmer and also seen like the My Friend Dahmer, the dramatization of him in high school. Movie. It's really good. It's a good movie. A good movie. But a good of a good amount of his humanistic like um, qualities are his like 
repressed homosexuality and him not knowing what to deal with that because he was forced into such like an isolation as a young child or not a young child, but as a teenager, there's like a whole like few months or a year where he like lives alone because his parents just left both of his parents literally left the house. Yeah. And he was just there. Like, hello. And so like, you know, you think I like me as a gay person with repressed like homosexuality growing up would like be able to relate to that, but it never really, you know, strung with me or like, you know, struck to heart, whatever you want to say that. Um, But like this stuff with Ted Bundy sort of did with his like feelings of inadequacy in high school and stuff like that. Like it was interesting. And that's why Ted Bundy's so scary because he, because Ted Bundy was the first, one of the first serial killers to make everyone stop for a second and think, Oh fuck. Yeah. He could be anybody because everyone loved Ted Bundy. Yeah. That's what's so scary about him. Fuck damn. Fuck fuck titties. We just finished one of the biggest podcast episodes I've ever wanted to do. <laughs> so I was talking with Chris today and I was like, I just like, I, I, and I had like a bad like last uh, sort of talk with my dad before I left too. Oh, Did really? I tell you about that? No, not yet. Oh, we just had like a semi like, we just got to talking about the church oh. and he just said something that I viewed as bigoted and then my reaction to him seemed equally as bigoted we'll talk about after and yeah it's fine um yeah and so i just like left and came home and then i was like feeling bad and i was like i've been feeling like strange and like not depressed but just like weirdly dark for the past few days and then even like when i got home a few days ago and then even today i was like i've been feeling like dark for like the past week and i was like oh it's because i've been like researching like ted fucking bundy. ted bundy for Welcome an to my entire, life, Corey. Like, 10 days this is my life now now you're yeah. part of it <laughs> Whereas me, I'm like, ooh, let's like read about the fucking, you know, bunny man. Where I'm like, let's talk about the disappearance of the seven-year-old girl, guys. Here we go. And the next week, I'm like, well, this is a fucking Sasquatch. Let's go, bitch. Next week, I'm like, let's talk about this fucking cult. Like, <laughs> mine is always so negative. Well, oh, yours my is God. Like, Yay! When you get into the child of the children of God, I'm just going to like send you care packages. That's on my list. Shit <laughs> like, to do. I have shit. a list of like a hundred things I want to get done. God damn. Well, Corey... How's your sex life That's going? our sex life. We just said it, y'all. Yeah. Ted motherfucking Bundy. So other than that, I'm going to Hawaii. I'm, yeah. prob- I'm in Hawaii when you're listening to this. Yeah, you're in I'm Hawaii. I, I'll announce the uh, $50 Amazon gift card from the beach uh, in Hawaii. Yes. I'll like have a pina colada and be like, yo, it's you, cunt face 420. Yes. Um, other than cunt that, everything's like totally – Oh. We might be getting a kitten for Yay. Simone. Toast. Yay. I post a picture from Instagram. Go look. Other than that, everything is great. Game of Thrones is great. Yeah. Moving to our house up. again. I nested. I feel great. Sadly, uh, some rain is leaking through the wall but because it's soon. a new house. But they literally finished the entire apartment building three two days, days three days before we moved in. So it's just a sad, like, happen you know, happening that it just happens to be our apartment. Yeah. But It'll I get feel fixed really sad for soon. Chris. Um, yeah. Other than that, Ted what Bundy. are we doing? Ted Bundy. That's it. That's like my entire sex life is all about Ted Bundy right yeah. now. I'm super excited to like start things with the podcast too. With Patreon. like Patreon and shit like that. And do these bonus episodes because they're so, I had so much fucking fun doing the bonus episodes. Yeah, episode. I had so much fucking fun. I, I knew it'd be fun, but like. It's just us hanging out. I was like, let's drink more. I'm having fun. It's <laughs> us hanging out without much research. Yeah. So yeah. Like yeah. Without, fun. with just like. Car, like you just know just like shit. shooting the shit and just like you know visceral reactions to like would you rather fuck valak or fucking ted bundy yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was super fun i hope you guys enjoyed it yeah. um well i guess our biggest question to you guys then is anyways how's your sex life